Hey, gang, it's Fillmore. For those of you who are jonesing for the Extra Sunday episodes, no longer available on YouTube, you can access them on patreon.com slash jimfix, J-I-M-F-I-X-X. If you sign up for the Whiskey Sobbing Computer Board level at $2.50 a month, you'll have access not only to those Extra Sunday episodes that are no longer available on YouTube, but you will get 50% of the Patreon content going forward. If you would like full access to all Sunday episodes, all Patreon content, including the last 32 episodes or 33 episodes produced thus far, just sign up for the Black Kluge $5 level or higher. If you want to give us more money, uh, you are more than welcome to. For those of you who don't do PayPal, or Patreon rather, we have a PayPal address as well, johnnythegreek21 at gmail.com. For those of you who cannot get Patreon to work and would like to use PayPal as a method of monthly payment, we will only accept donations from the Black Kluge level or higher. And privately, personally, we will send you all the episodes on Patreon and the missing Sunday episodes, of course. Oh, he doesn't? Dude, Howard, I've always wanted to know one thing. Did you or did you not get Robin Givens? I, I, I don't know. All right, here, look, oh! No, I'm saying I, I would never. I mean, I, what if you don't know? No, no, I didn't. I don't know. <clears throat> no, no, I did oh. not. You'd have to know. Right. But if someone wants to fix themselves, ah, uh, different thing. I am telling you that it is possible. There is no such thing as genetic homosexuality. Or, it's or fixable. I know the guy who can fix it. He doesn't even know he can fix it. So he hasn't said this is a cure for this. No. Problem. No. But I am telling you, homosexuality is fixable. <laughs> Hello. Do you, have a, do you have a big dick? Did you go into therapy? You've never been to a psychiatrist. It does. I like that. I like to hear that guys are whacking off. Yeah. I don't want to be in a wig and a purse. <laughs> I do that in my personal life. No. No. I'm just like a happy-go-lucky guy. And all this is about having fun. That's right. Okay, what do you do for a living? And I'm not, it's not gonna—it's not one of those, you know. Oh, who are you? But what do you do for a living? You know, if really not. You do therapy? Just, no. Never. I—I've dabbled. No, I'm there every day. My daughter's uh, 15. All her friends are, like consumed with who's gay and who isn't. That yeah, that's like a big that's thing. The yeah, right. They think I'm gay. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's gay. Which it was. You come over, Tzvi, Tzvi. They named me Tzvi. First of all, <laughs> fuck you. My name is Howard. Why can't you just be Howard? Why do you have to have a separate name? They had name? to give you a Hebrew name. How before they work uh, weeks? Nah. <laughs> the audience gets mad at me if I take a week off. I can't take Fridays off. I think the audience would rather have How you do four days than no days. Yeah, if you're not there at all. Yeah. Well, it's better not to be there. I believe radio is a habitual kind of medium. That people wake up in the morning, they go to work, and they want to hear their favorite disc jockey. Oh, absolutely. And if you're not there on Fridays, you are doing a disservice to the audience. And you're not doing your job. I don't think I'm interested in the, the five-day-a-week schedule. Oh, uh, you know. it came with that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, terrestrial radio, you got to do a five-day-a-week schedule. So I don't def- Because yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I, like, I drive into the Manhattan every day and I listen to you, okay? And if you cut out the bitching, it probably would be about an hour booking. <laughs> You're right. And you want to know something? Okay. So Now, how long are you going to keep the hair? Then? I'm going to keep the hair as long as it keeps uh, on there's top a, of my head. What do you mean? There's a point in time that it's... Uh, is my uh, hair too long, you think? When you get a certain age, I think that the you hair... you think it looks silly? Yeah. You do? Really? I do. So this is Rylebond? Yes. Okay. Friend of the aliens. Yes. Right. Why are right. uh, well, you people bugging my time with four hours of 
faggot is a... <laughs> I mean, I mean, Jesus Christ, man. Can't you come up with another solution? Welcome, everybody, to QF, a podcast about Howard Stern. I'm your host, Phil Moore, a.k.a. Jim Fix. And with me for this particular episode in, in the uh, Colford Saga installment is Benjamin. How are you, Ben? Good. It's been a few months since we talked. Yes, and uh, we've been quite busy getting stuff done, but also we needed to uh, get finish up a few sagas. We're tying up, finally, the 15 Foundation. We got part nine finished, and the last one is probably going to be a two-parter, but it includes the uh, March for the Bagels, which I might need your help with. <laughs> okay. Uh, you couldn't stretch that into a 15-parter just, <laughs> just for poetic it would be perfect. It would be perfect, but uh, we just couldn't do it. And uh, people loved the last one because that included the uh, goodbye, Jason. That would that, mm. that's that's. Mm. But we got we managed to get the video, which is really crucial for that particular segment of the year. Um, at any rate, the last time we were in, guys, we were discussing the. Uh, it was more about Wellmet and Howard's High School, and he was you know King. King Schmaltz uh, Bagel Hour. And we're going to get into his stint at WRNW, his first time there. And we've got a lot of clips to play, so we'll go right into it. But before we do, any, any, uh, anything you want to add? No, I'm raring to go on this one. Okay. If you guys I'm are ex- all fall- Everyone, everyone oh. loves the well-met stuff. I, I take it. I think um, so. And especially if you're like me and you remember basically where you were when Howard rewrote well met. And I think it was 2011, 2012 around that, where he suddenly was the camp's Romeo. And um, this book will tell a different story from what he currently tells. Well, it's 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 odd because it's almost like you throw a rock and you're going to get a different story. So it's not odd, I guess. And it's not really odd when you know him. But in private parts, he talks about having had a couple flings here and there, but not nothing really. Then mm-hmm. in 2019, 2020, it becomes I couldn't get anybody. And then in that clip, that infamous clip where the caller calls in to bust his balls about Beth controlling him, he claims, you know, I was banging a lot of hot women. Call my call my boss Woody Belkin, who was his supervisor at Well Met. <laughs> Woody Belkin. <laughs> and you know what? I did look up Woody Belkin, and he is some kind of properties attorney. He's like some real estate attorney. And uh he has a website and he did an interview about Stern. And he has a couple you know, odds and ends, maybe from Well Met, still in his office. But I would love to have emailed him and asked him <laughs> and played him yeah. the audio. It's like, what do you have to say about this? Did you fire him for almost fucking too many students underage, underage Well Met, <laughs> you know, campers? <laughs> so, um, so either way, guys, if you're following along, we're on page thirty and thirty-one, and unfortunately, Sam can't make it for this one because the there's, I guess, on the East Coast, there's a huge snow ice problem with the whatever storm winter storm so she's she's uh, gonna be missed but we'll try to soldier through uh first clip is actually from uh, oh, uh january 31st 2007 and it's a caller calls in a, 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 a tommy from malden type caller calls in and howard explains in unflinching un um stammer so stammer free stutter free dialogue exactly how stupid he was and how he got into Boston University, which is very important when people start asking us, why do you call him 79? Why do you, you know, why do you claim Mm. this and that? 
uh, Raven did the math, and apparently the SAT score he talked about, <laughs> it was the equivalent of a grade point average. I, I can't remember, but it was something like um, when she did the math, his SAT score was something like 50 or 60 percent. Wow. Yeah. So not he really, No, but, not but at still, all. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we don't know he's on heroin. He could be Come sick. Come on, Robin. You guys are smart. Neither of you is a dumb. Well, then call me dumb because I think he's no, sick. No way. Howard, you're not dumb. You went to BU. You're a smart man. BU. <laughs> There's yeah, your credential. They made all the geniuses into BU. You know that I went to BU, but I went to retard BU. Like, like I didn't even go to the it real BU. It wasn't even the real college? Yeah, there's a uh, college at Boston University for idiots. It's to milk parents who can't normally get their kids into the school. Okay, I'll let this one play through. Yeah, I was a real idiot. Oh. And... Um, BU has a program called, it's like the Special Olympics. It was called Basic Studies. It doesn't get embarrassing than that. Like when you're trying to pick up a chick at BU and you tell her you're in Basic Studies, you're like, fucking loser. Yeah. Get the, they head for the hills. You think it was easy to get laid with this face and being in Basic Studies? <laughs> and Basic Studies, the deal was, even though you're a shit student, you can't even score above a 1,000 on your SATs, we're going to let you into BU, let your old man pay the freight, and uh, you got to... For two years, take everything you were supposed to take in high school, but you fucked up. Um, keep in mind, guys, that this is the guy who, when he switched from um, Roosevelt to Rockville Center, was told, you know, he's not going to integrate well educationally because, you know, he's used to a lower standard of education. I think he was just a dunsky both places, and he yeah. was at his level at Roosevelt and uh, went, you know, went into the deep end and sank once he got to uh, Rockville Center. He talks about in private parts. I just was skipping through it yesterday. And I can't find it right handily, handily here. But he talks about being one of the smartest people at Roosevelt. Yes. Now, why then was he reading? Why was he in a remedial class then? If he's one of That's the smartest right. kids at Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and he, and he wasn't Robin even the smartest kid in the remedial class. And he and Robin have that in common by Robin's own admission. Yes. Yes, they were in the slow class. So um, we're not talking we're not talking a huge think tank here, guys, at the Howard Stern show over the years, including Stuttering John. And uh, anyway, let's let's continue. So you're really in high school. I'm in high school. I was in high school for two more years. <laughs> Believe me, this was no college. I was studying like high school chemistry, you know, humanities, which was actually watching movies. <laughs> Oh. And uh, it was like retard school. And then if you passed retard school, they'd let you for the next two years get into, uh, you know, like the School of Communications where I'd study radio. <laughs> I'd study fucking radio. What's the study of radio? It wasn't one professor. That you weren't think making about. radios. <laughs> no. I, this is ironic. He he denigrates the, the study of radio, but was a huge fuck up both at college radio and then his first gig, which we're going to cover in this chapter. Mm hmm. So he might have needed another two years of BU at the School of Communications just to keep from fucking up uh, certain things. Although, to his credit, Meg Griffin, who when she does get on the air, and you'll hear her voice amongst others, credits she she gives a little credit to him because of the uh, she explains his mea culpa that the equipment at the first place at WRNW was not particularly good. So she gave she gave him a pass for that. So. We made radios. It would have made sense. <laughs> Study radio. I'm sure my old man was having a conniption. Cost him like five grand a year at the time, which was a lot of money for my father. Listen, you know, but uh, you know, so I didn't even go. Like people say, I went to BU. That's bullshit. I should have been at Nassau Community. I got in on a fluke. BU. I love you guys. 
Thank you. Great. I've had this now for a month, and this is the fucking best I've ever heard. Great. Okay, so that's so that's pretty much it. That's the unexpurgated version of what he and he he does parrot a lot of that in private parts of the book. But later on in the history of Howard Stern, if you listen to the 2007, the first part, part one, he talks about how he did really well um, when he got into when he did, he graduated summa cum laude or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think he had great tutoring, which has been a lifelong um, aid of his. He's always relied on tutoring. Yes. Even when Absolutely. it comes to journaling nowadays. Mm hmm. With Adventure and- Denali. Well, yes, <laughs> he's got a tutor for just about everything. A uh, weatherman tutor. Uh, let's see. The next clip, Wiggy becomes a 20-year-old counselor at Wellmet. So believe it or not, guys, even though he's in uni- he's in that he's at BU, he still decides to go back to camp. And I found that extremely telling that, you know, he's still um, needing to go back there where he feels he's happening because there's a bit of Lou talk, a lot of Lou talk, and yeah. Lou gets his, it, uh, yeah. You know, I, the, the the mythology always is is that I, he was with the same woman since he was 19 years old, right? Mm-hmm. He always says, oh, I was with that since I was 19. So if he's 20 and going back as a counselor, then that means he's with Allison. That's right. Um, he's cheating but, on her or trying to cheat right, on her. Right, right. And and um, if he is the Romeo of camp then he and, and nearly getting fired, then he is cheating on her. But they can never quite nail down. And, and every story Howard tells – uh, he, he says he was 19 when he was with Allison, except that in the official version, he was a junior, so he was 20 when he mm-hmm. met Allison. And I don't know if that was, I need to paint myself as a guy who wasn't cheating. And maybe yeah. they had some kind of a long-distance relationship that he wasn't uh, upholding his, bar- his end of the bargain. Mm-hmm. But you can't be 19 with Allison and 20 and banging your banging every coworker of yours, that right? It's not that doesn't doesn't work. No, and beyond that, guys, and keep in mind the details sell the story, but yet the details don't seem to match anywhere, including when he starts talking about his first air shift, his first paid air shift, and when it was, because in the Colford book, Colford says it was in Christmas of. In the yes, year, the year he in says question. New Year's. He says New Year's. Yeah. So you've already I got think I know that. I think I understand why that might be too, because Howard, as a Jewish guy, would not be celebrating Christmas. No, and he he might be sensitive about wanting people to know that he was the scab who would go and work on Christmas when the other <laughs> who, by the way, were all fired by the new Jewish owners except for Howard and you be the sales manager. I, yeah. I would not be surprised if he's sensitive about that and just decided, you know what? I'm only half Jewish. It, well, let's make it New Year's. Right. So let's continue with this next clip. It's called Wiggy Becomes a 20-Year-Old Counselor at WellMed. During the summer of 1974, Howard returned to Camp WellMed as a staff counselor on a six-week trip to Yellowstone National Park and Oh, this one, by the way, guys, is page 31 in the book, if you're following. Points West. As he helped to supervise about three dozen younger teenagers, he seemed no less a juvenile himself. Wearing a silly-looking round hat, his Adam's apple bobbing at the throat of his immensely gawky frame, he played disc jockey on the Odyssey, holding the bus microphone to a cassette player armed with rock music. The 20-year-old Howard, whom everyone called Howie, displayed the same interests and level of maturity that he would popularize on the radio. He was obsessed with his phallus, which he called his schween, recalled Carrie D. Preston, who was among Howard's charges. 
he's really never grown up, if you ask me. What's cut out of there is a little uh, uh, one line one line where it says he'd say things like this oatmeal is sexually abused and he had a ritual of phallicizing. He'd pick out things that looked like a penis, such as a cucumber or even a jet airplane. It's it's interesting. What why they would they cut out? Yes, that is a fascinating insight that right. I'm sure his therapist would be dying to to know about if that's the case. Yes, especially this is what he's seeing everywhere he looks. Yeah. And he's a Jungian based therapist. I mean, think of a cartoon where you're on a desert island and you look over and you're seeing mirages. You yeah. know, you're not you're not seeing a beautiful woman if you're Howard. You're seeing penises. You're seeing what dicks. Yeah. You? yeah. <laughs> he sounds on the radio now like the same person he was on that camping trip in 1974. And that's and During that's and that's something you get from a lot of people. What do you remember when Robin did the? I don't know if it was 1993 or was the book promotion tour. I think it was her her 19 Quivers of Life promo tour where she explained. I don't. I think it's the the what you're hearing is the sounds of a guy who never really got past a certain stage in his life. Mm. Uh, you know, like whether we're talking about Howard's immaturity level. I think it was from the mm -hmm. Baltimore Sun or something. And mm. she 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 hit the nail on the head pretty much. Yes, and she's not alone in that observation. Uh, no. I think um, I think even in private parts at the end, they might conclude that he's stuck around. There. I mean, he's definitely the Peter Pan syndrome poster boy, and mm -hmm. you know that 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 keeps you locked in that adolescence for good. And he's so happy. I mean, he's we've heard many times that the happiest time in his life was Camp Wellmet, and it yes. might even have been this trip. Uh, but you know, it's funny about this trip. Did you get the age? Uh, did you get the idea ever that the girls on the campers were around age thirteen? Well, I, the, I, the the picture, the picture in question that we're you and I are both thinking about in our minds is yeah. him with a couple of girls, and he's yeah. he's freakishly towering tall, over them, then yeah. towering over them, and they all look. And I mean, and it's true, guys, back in the day, people who were young, like people at the age of 13 back 20, 30, 40 years ago really did look 13. Now they look a little bit older, but yeah. you can t you can tell the difference between a 13 year old and an 18 year old by looking at their eyes. They're just just everything. And he he they do look like 12 in that picture. 12, they look young. 13. I, they look really young. Yeah. And what I was going to point out is that Howard. um He's, you know, he sexualized those those kids many times. He said he's he's said that there was one in particular who was really hot for him. And one yes. thing that he'll do is round down his age. So he's not mm -hmm. twenty, and he's, he's not 19. twenty and a half. He's That's nineteen. Right. He's eighteen. And the girls are not thirteen. They're fifteen, sixteen. So they're getting closer to about two years apart in age. Yes. Um, in his cleaned up version of it, but mm -hmm. when you look at that picture. You 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 see a huge difference. Um, I mean, not only in their height and everything, but they look like little kids. Yes, and they do. you know he's got he's got his lecherous shirt unbuttoned, so you can well, see his nipple hanging out. Right, and it's creepy. And he he's not the kind of guy you want your child left in the care of. No, and we've got the clips to play, guys, and we will do that. This is six B. How the Millie now the Millie Bobby Brown stuff makes sense. One summer, we went cross country. We actually went cross country and took a. We were like counselors on that bus. Yeah, taking forty high school kids cross country. All the kids on the bus were doing each other. <laughs> you still weren't getting. And I'm, I wasn't getting. I couldn't make it with the campers. Now he says high school, but he doesn't mm -hmm. indicate specifically what year of high school. 
And I think that's deliberate. Now he's going to start going and say 16, but I think in his head, he's going, I got to recalculate here because this is sounding a little creepier and whatever. I'll, I'll I'll save myself. Sound almost legal. Yes. Right. He was not what I like to. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't use that uh, authority <laughs> position to even get the campers. I'm real honorable that way. I didn't. I didn't. You know, I didn't go after any of the campers. You didn't violate that trust. Even though there were one or two who wanted to. Yeah. And one of them once dragged me off into the woods and said, "You know, I like you." And I was like, well, "Wait a second, you're 16." And actually, I was How only. How old were you? I was like 19. So, 19 or 20 wouldn't have been that unthinkable. But hey, I had a position of authority, and I wasn't going to uh, abuse it. If one of them is dragging you off to the woods, how are you being led by a younger person into the woods? Yeah. That's yeah. another thing and, that doesn't and make sense. And by the way, all he does is abuse his position of authority. Why do you think his staff is showing him their penises and yeah. uh, spreading their cheeks for the camera and all that kind of stuff? Uh, mm-hmm. Or sitting between two staffers and stroking? It's because he's abusing his power. And yeah. his defenders, his critics will say – or sorry, his defenders will say, that's just the show. It's the show because the guy in power has decided it's the show. Mm-hmm. There's no other show like well, it. No, and there isn't. And this latest jizz hat nonsense that you're hearing is uh, literally, you know, <laughs> do it or get fired or risk getting fired. And yeah. Wilding's more than happy to do anything to keep his green card. So I didn't want to go to jail. What's <laughs> Yeah, right. Unless you didn't want to go to jail. Yeah, these kids were underage. But so were you. You weren't an adult. Uh, over 18 is an adult in New York. Really? It's statutory rape. You're over 18. You're going to jail. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you had read the law. I uh, I, obviously. <laughs> now, a guy knows that stuff. <laughs> sort of like you don't go on the radio without knowing what the FCC's all bummed no, out you're about. you're kidding me. An 18-year-old guy oh, yes. can't make love to a 15-year-old no. girl? Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> Not- <laughs> Sounds like he did quite a bit of research into it. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised Robin is so clueless. Maybe, you know, I don't know at the time. Maybe that yeah. was not well-known. No, well, um, who knows? And also maybe laws did – we do know yeah. that they, from state to state does vary and probably still – it did then and I'm sure it still does now, age of consent. Yeah. yeah. So um, – I'm surprised uh, he didn't take the uh, the uh, the ladder that she was offering him basically where he mm-hmm. could have said, yeah, you know, it, maybe it was legal. I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> that she was extending that, that help to him. He could have taken it. I'm surprised he didn't. Yeah, the cre- the creep uh, the creep uh, ladder. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Here, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe where Jerry Lee Lewis got married. <laughs> I was gonna say the rest of the country's closing down. Yeah, you gotta be cool on that stuff. You really gotta be cool. I gotta check that. I don't so, think that's true. Anyway, you check it out. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Guys, they all know. <laughs> Believe me, it's, it's and it sounds like Bowie's done a bit of. He, he's no stranger. He's the one that's uh, his big fetish is teen porn. So yeah. it does. It yeah. doesn't. It doesn't. Wouldn't surprise me if you know Gary was a little bit uh, immersed in that himself. And and so his only conflict was it's illegal. It's illegal, right? Not I should not it's be wrong. doing this because of the power role I have, and yeah, it's the unsupervised child I'm with, and so on. Yeah, totally. It's true. Also, when you, you know, when you're in a position of being the authority, the counselor. Well, tell that to a lot of teachers and professors. Out. Yeah, well, I'm not saying it's right, but <laughs> I'm I'm working to change that law. So that 14 year olds can make it with 37 year olds, right? <laughs> Okay, that, that wasn't a little bit creepy. Now, here here's some more uh, stuff that I'm going to play, guys, as a um, a little bit of a uh, – it's just something you need to hear. This is from 2000, and this is something uh, 
I can't remember the guy's name on on Twitter, but he keeps he keeps linking to my original video from my first channel on the old site where, where the place place we used to frequent as as being evidence. But it's been long since deleted. But here is the original clip I had on my old channel. Well, those are the two kids from Full House. The two, remember the two little girls from Full House? Sure. Well, now they're like this is from 2000, by the way, and they were 13 years old at the time when he said this 13. Let that sink in, guys. 13 and they're pieces of ass. Oh, yeah. I've seen pictures of it because they still no. they have such an incredible career. But let me say something. And normally I don't look at a 13 year old and okay. sexualize them. <laughs> I don't. But these two are pieces of ass. They're growing up perfect. Are they budding yet? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Their boobies are out. So, I mean, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not into 13-year-olds. Well, yes, you are. Oh, she's right. She is absolutely right. And yeah. uh, and then it, we, we go in further, guys. We're getting a little closer to now. He did the same with Millie Bobby Brown, who was in Stranger Things and probably just doing other things. But she was, if I'm not mistaken, she, I think she's uh, 18 now. So she would have been 13 at the time of this recording in 2017 from, if you're looking, guys, October 25th. And it's just called El Creepo, Millie Bobby Brown shit. And, uh, you know, listen, thank God she's growing up nice. She's not getting any of that awkward stage like that lispy kid. Yeah, uh, she doesn't look awkward. You're right. I said to her, Millie, we can't tolerate you having some sort of awkward stage. You got to do a Brooke Shields and just be hot from the time you're a little girl to the time you're a woman. <laughs> okay, there's that. And then the next mm -hmm. part, which is really short as well. Between you and me, I wouldn't say it to her. She's a young lady, but God what? forbid she gets like a flat chest in her tits don't grow when she gets older. Now I'm talking as an adult here. We got a surgeon all lined up to do a boob job. On oh, her. my goodness. That's right. A top guy. She's going to be a D cup whether she likes it or not. Oh, my. What? Oh, and that stupid fucking agent voice that which is basically a, a revamp of Johnny Fry's of Johnny Fry's yeah. shit yeah. thing. And now which uh, there's also yeah, him, him doing Steve Steve Dahl's. Um, Anthony DiGiovanno character. Mm -hmm. Oh, the, the uh, guy from Anthony. Chicago. Yeah, it's the yeah. Chicago accent. Yeah. Well, there's another clip that I'm not going to play. I should, but it, it's from the Scarlett Johansson interview from years earlier where he said, uh, did, you know, did you have problems, you know, being, you know, a, a hot 10, like a hot, the kids thought you were hot. And she said something like a hot 10 year old. And she took him to task and he goes, well, maybe the other people thought you were hot. And, it it just came off so creepy, and she was creeped out. There was no two ways about it. Uh, in the time that we took to look for a couple photos that I'm going to include in the video, guys, uh, assuming this makes it to YouTube, uh, as some of you will already know by now, we've gone behind a partial paywall, and some of these will make it to uh, Patreon, and some of these will make it to YouTube. But this particular clip, we mentioned the Scarlett Johansson clip, so I said, why not use that time and get it? And so I did. Here, here we go. When you go to public school, they go, hey, there's the kid who uh, is in North and just was on Off-Broadway. You must have been like, the, and you're hot. It must be like a hot 10 uh, year old. You're, well, you know, the other 10 year old probably thought you were attractive. <laughs> I don't know about that. Were you not a hot 10 year old? If you're in the movies, you're I mean, a hot, was a hot yeah, 10 year old. Yeah, you can go back and I was a 10 year old little boy. There were 10 year old girls. I was really turned on. I'm getting right. young. Really it was cute. appropriate. So he's always had this, he's always fetishized like pre, like, really young teens yeah and uh, this is a this is a guy who has had three 10 year old daughters of his own 
Yes, absolutely. And so I don't know. I, I, I just don't know, guys. You'll have to make of it what you can. Like whether you think he's gay or whether you think he's a pervert or whether you think he's straight or bi or whatever, everything. Or, or like sun, I say, Peter Pansexual. Or Peter Pansexual, as Ben likes to call him, then it's still whatever it is. It's still fucking weird. And what Ben did was dig up the photos of the uh, the Olsen twins, which you will have seen in the video, hopefully. But if not, if it goes on Patreon, we'll still upload the photos. And there's no question you can look at the girls in the in the you can look at the Olsen twins and you see that they're like they look 12, not 13. They look younger than what they are. They look maybe 10 or 11, actually. And it's creepy as fuck to hear him say that about these girls. And it came right out of him. That's why I don't think it's about being shocking. It's about what he really feels. And we know that the truth out of Howard usually comes when um, you don't hear a stutter or stammer. You know. Howard had two daughters older than Mary Kate and Ashley when he made that mm. comment. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to go into uh, the <laughs> part 6C. Dr. Luce do do drops some fruity science. This is from the history of Howard Stern. I think he was like most guys his age. He was awkward and uh, trying to find his way, you know, and goofing around. And, you know, we went to camp from the time we were 10 until um, when we worked at the kitchen. Um, I was there until I was about 17. So you run the gamut of growing up and chasing girls. And, and that, that was an interesting part of WellMet because the girls' bunks were not really far away from the guys' bunks. So he... Now, keep in mind, Lou, Lou went until he was 17. Howard went until he was 20. 20. 20 and yeah. a half. Right. And it's not a little bit creepy about that. Yeah, and again, uh, the abuse of power, the idea that he could actually do that and then later on really much, pretty much mimic that with the interns on his own show. You guys draw the, your own conclusions, but we'll just lay it out I, there I, for you. I wonder if the only reason he was even – charged with supervising these kids is because the next choice was 17. So as a 20 year old, all right, we'll go with the 20 year old. You yeah. know, if most people are failing at 17 and you got a well, 20 year old and a 17 year old, you're going to choose the guy who can, um, uh, jail. Know, check into a hotel if you needed them to, if you needed to at the last minute. Yeah, that's, that's true. Someone and someone who, um, yeah, being that little bit older, um, might be that make them, make them feel a little more secure. Yeah. Because I don't know that he would have passed a psychological evaluation if they oh, if they determined here's how we determine who is in charge of these kids. <laughs> Not if you saw that photo of him with the uh, nipple even exposed. Though, yeah, even though Wellmet itself was sort of like a, a, a psychology experiment in oh, a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was. He mentions this at one point, but it was sort of run and supervised by. Uh, you know, I want to give you the exact quote. So let me find sure. what it is. Yeah, by all means. Yeah, so what I have here is this is from Camp Wellmet's guestbook, online guestbook, and it was posted in October 2003 by Howard mm -hmm. himself, mm -hmm. sharing this Wellmet memory with some others. And what he says was, um, uh, I was there from the time I was nine to my second year of college, camper <laughs> all the way through the Western trip, kitchen boy, counselor in Unit 5, and then counselor on the Western trip with Woody Belkin and Andrea Gold. The entire time I was at camp, I had no idea that a bunch of social workers were in charge and using me for some sort of college credit. I was blissfully oblivious to adult supervision and lived each summer like I was on my own and fully in charge of my own destiny. Anyway, he goes on to 
say that when he's down, he actually says, when I'm down, okay, whenever the FCC begins to get me down, I just think <laughs> back to my days as a kitchen boy. <laughs> That's literally what he says. <laughs> yeah. So he has uh, you would think that was an imposter. <laughs> so he's trying yeah. to rest oh, her I'm, when I'm the FCC is going down about the FCC. The FCC who has never pulled a penny out of my pocket. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. God. That, that so FCC anyway, it was stuff. some kind of a. Yeah. So anyway, this was it, it's funny. It was the, how social workers tie into his life because Allison was a social worker. Yes. Uh, and anyway, and I think believe his, his daughter might now be one of them, too. Or may, uh, may have been. A, uh, OK, let me yeah. think. OK, Emily's the rabbi. Uh, Ashley's the nurse. And I. Yeah, maybe. Think, I think it was Deborah that went to Vietnam and I don't know what taught English or, you know, and then she she might. Yeah. Have, yeah, and, and, but she might have studied social work. She might, she, but that might be what her vocation ended up being. Anyway, none of them were in the radio. <laughs> no, and Allison needed psychology just to deal with the maniac she was married to. Yes. Uh, let's continue with uh, Dr. Lou's recollections of camp. You know, we were all trying to meet girls. And uh, yeah, I guess you could say he was a little bit awkward with it. But once we got into the older age groups, I guess, you know, we'd just say he got lucky. <laughs> Yeah, you know, sure. He had more relationship in those areas with his mother, but he always told me about this girl he met, and he likes her, she wants to be a doctor. I said, it's very good. You marry her, and you make out the Medicare forms, and let her take care of the patients. It's a perfect match. I think he has pretty accurate when it comes to how girls... Okay, one sec, guys. ...treated him. He always had girls as friends. He didn't have too many girlfriends. They always loved Howard, but they didn't love Howard. <laughs> Yeah. This is this is like not only mind warping, guys, time warping. It's it's everything because you, if you, you listen to the clips we're going to be playing, uh, which is the next one, for example, I was fucking a model in college. Uh, this is the aforementioned segment from the aforementioned rant. And we've we've talked about this before, but Howard had on some girls from camp who said that everyone thought that Howard and Lou were gay. Yes. Yeah, we did have that in one of the previous episodes for sure. <laughs> I was fucking a model in college. The entire Boston University hated me because everybody wanted this woman. What I really wanted to find was the video of this because it's way more entertaining to see his eyes darting from uh, and the dead air because Robin's not willing to help him. Fred's not willing to help him. And they know that he's just raging against a story mm -hmm. that he knows is actually true. So mm -hmm. he has to decide he's going to come up with this fairy tale. And meanwhile, his whole career was was dictated on was was based on being a loser and now you're going to turn it around and make it like you were i don't know like some huge coxman yeah and and bu is big how yeah. in the world would the entire campus know <laughs> this guy is dating her uh i'm livid but didn't now he brought this girl on to his show didn't he on channel nine I don't know if it was the one Andrea that came in a couple times. Andrea, uh, okay. or, because there's, there's a few. There's a few that he brought in. There was the channel. There was the channel nine. Sorry, the um, Fox pilots. Then there was the on on the air. Yeah, this Andrea, I believe her name was. And there was a couple a uh, couple years where he brought this person back in, late nineties, uh, early two thousands as well. And uh, I can't remember if it's the same girl, but either way, on the ch if you look at the Fox pilot, when we covered that section, she looked she looked she wanted to be anywhere else. 
It looks extremely mm. uncomfortable. And this is continuing well, the rant, guys. Oh, sorry, one second. Yeah, if I was, I was just going to say that in private parts, he, you know, he talks, he talks a little bit about. Sag. Apparently, his freshman year is when this mostly takes place. This action that he was getting. Yeah. Um, and he talks about dating some uh, girl named Beth, who he begged to sleep with him because he had already known at least three guys she'd already slept with. Right. So she's and, a pincushion. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so he said that the, they, we had nothing in common. She was pretty mindless. I had nothing to say to her, but she was gorgeous, so I fucked her again. Um, and here we go. Beth and I had text, intense sex for about a week. I mean, this girl was totally into me. One time she was giving me a blowjob, and I was about to come, so I pulled her head away from my God, Can you believe you wrote this? Um, <laughs> and I shot all over her hair. This is this is private parts. Um, so anyway, she was boring. I couldn't tolerate being around her anymore, so I dumped her. We, that is absurd. If I, this guy Complete who is so desperate for any attention mm-hmm. gets this hot girl who's so sexual and he's, fr- he's 19 years, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so he, he, he says, I want to just say, quickly say that. So he gets, those are his few exploits in freshman year, but he starts us this paragraph. Seth, sophomore year was no better. I think I fucked one girl. So now I was a junior and I was studying hard. That's it. Yeah. So he talks about maybe one girl sophomore. But now we know he was nearly fired mm-hmm. for all the banging he was doing. That That's was right. somehow wasn't worth mentioning in private parts. No, I guess not. So this is the continuation, guys. I'm not saying I was the biggest stud, but I got mine. And I fucked some pretty good looking women way before I was Howard Stern on the radio. Fuck off. Assholes. <laughs> I'm not sure which I like better. The Scott the Engineer, fuck everyone, or assholes. Mm. Under his breath, mm. Sato Vache, as if to say, I've I've nailed you all. Do you know the context of this? There was a guy why called- he just suddenly there was a guy called into the wrap up show and he was playing the clip and he said, you know, Howard's a star fucker. Uh, you know, he used to be a very, uh, he used to be a very like supposedly blue collar guy. Now he's, you know, meeting with celebs and he, uh, you know, he does whatever Beth wants and he's neutered. And so he got a pissed off at that. And that's why I was absolutely digging for the searching like a madman for the actual video footage, which I'm, I'm sure I have somewhere on one hard drive somewhere. And he was, his eyes, were darting full dart it was mm, pong mm, once again mm-hmm, and he decided mm-hmm. and the dead the amount of dead air and the fumbling he did like call woody belkin and he, he's you have to stop you have to you're fucking too many people it was you're fucking co-workers like you're f- fucking other counselors but you're at college which, which is it like my boss He's a coordinator at the camp. I don't know. There's certain designations you use. He was fumpering so much. It made me say it made it obvious to me that he was just making it up like he did the way he way it came out of his mouth. It was obvious to me, at least, that he was just making it up on the fly. And as we know, he can't improv worth a shit. Why doesn't he call Woody Belkin? How are we supposed to call Woody Belkin? Woody Belkin on the phone. Why is it that in the history of camp campers coming to visit? They yeah. never said, oh, Howard, you should have seen him. He, everybody wanted Howard. Why right. is it that it only came out in this instance? Right. I, I, I would guess that was 2011 or 12 or so whenever he – That was – yeah, it was 2011. Right. And I have the, I have okay. it here, but I just – I can't remember the exact date and the con- – like I, I can't I, remember. I, I find it on Mark's friggin' it's tough. I, I remember I was living in New York City yeah. and 
hearing that, I was like, what? I yes. have been listening to this guy for at that point it had been 17 Almost, years or something like yes. that. Yeah. And absolutely. I, and I, and suddenly just like that, he had just rewritten, um, I, his, 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 uh, prowess. I remember during at, at the old place, you made a comment that and I never, I never forgot this one that you believed he was conflating. He was deci- he decided to make himself Jay Thomas who was fucking employees at the radio station on <laughs> air. while while, you know, not on air, but I mean, he was, he muted the mic, but he was right. fucking them on the thing while a, a record was playing and then telling him I, about it. Yeah. That uh, he, he definitely takes what he likes from certain yes. people's lives and says, that's me now. Yes. Um, and I don't remember specifically saying that, but it does seem like something he would do. You know, mm-hmm. uh, other guys got in trouble for this. I'll take that and say, I got in trouble for this. Well, he's well, like, uh, I know, I know Jay a guy. Peterman from Seinfeld. <laughs> Go ahead and put that in the book. <laughs> Pretty much. So the next one is called jealous of Dr. Lou, the Coxman. Yeah, I remember. Then I got to college and it was worse. My roommate, Lou, now at medical, imagine this guy, good looking football player, straight A student, perfect score on the SATs. And in six year medical, can you imagine the women he was attracting? We would go like we we knew some girls from camp. I met Lou in camp and we ended up being roommates. We'd walk in the room. They would all line up for Lou. And this is from if you're looking, guys, 2020, uh, November 3rd. To have a Locked few minutes, a little, like, the, right. like like the Bachelor, you know, on the Bachelor when they all line up to try to get right, to right. steal you for a minute. I don't know, but go ahead. Thank you for telling us, Howard. Can I talk to him for a minute? Yeah. Can I can I can I steal you for a minute? <laughs> and I'm sitting there again with the cigarette and the hair, <laughs> <laughs> you know, looking like a, a chimney with hair. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. And I'm like, this has got to end. The, the, I think they thought I was Lou's dog or pet. Oh, jeez! <laughs> no, they, they said they said uh, what he had to wait for Lou's rejects. That was the quote from the person that he brought into the studio and called her a bitch yeah. and all these things. They knew that you were Lou's angry boyfriend, essentially sitting there yes. going, "Why aren't we back in the room together?" I mean, what are the odds that it, okay, Lou gets perfect scores on the SATs? Yeah, and Howard gets. But, but yeah, he does well, let's say. Yeah, sure. Because uh, Howard lives in a world of extreme contrast. You know, there's right. only perfect or there's horrible. Um, right. So Lou does well and he's going into the medical profession. Yeah. And I'm going to Boston University. What are the odds that Howard, who underperforms, is also going to – out of all the colleges that are in the New York area and in in, in Northeast, oh, I'm also going to Boston University. Isn't that a little odd? I, I suspect that Howard made his academic plans based on Lou's academic plans. I mean, Certainly. down to, obviously, I need to be in your dorm, in your floor, in oh, your yeah. room, in the bed yeah. next to you. Right. And I think Lou took pity on him. And that's why he agreed to have him as a roommate. And if I'm not mis- – if I'm not – I got to recall correctly because I may be wrong. Correct me if, on this if I am. Didn't he have a roommate and it didn't work out? The other guy thought he was a oh. weirdo or vice versa. And yeah, then- no, no, I, I don't think he gave it a second. I don't think he gave it any chance. I, I think he just said, I think this guy's weird. I need to go be in your room. That was it. Okay. That yeah, was so, something line. along those lines. <laughs> I think he was lusting after Lou, to be honest with you. Oh, I think definitely. he was. I think, yeah. I think he yeah. was in that room while Lou is 
having sex with girls. Howard's imagining being Honey West. Yes. <laughs> and we have that audio. We can play. I can dig that one up, too, as well, actually, because it dovetails right into that chapter in private parts. I know we're covering Colford, but we're really color- covering that history yeah. of Howard Stern as colored yeah. by the Colford book, which is based on actual research and, you know, the uh, Grimm's fairy tales, which is private parts. So yeah. let's continue we're, with. The, we're in a lot of ways giving the footnotes to this book that could that would make this book 10 feet tall. Much. If you say, right. You know. So if you're waiting for the audio book of Howard's life, you're getting it now. And uh, yeah. you don't have to actually uh, go to Barnes and Noble for the audio. <laughs> they were like, oh, that's cute. And I'm sitting there on a bed because in those rooms, they had, it looked like a jail cell. The, the, the girls dormitory You had a bed on one side and a bed on the other side. And Lou's, Lou's, the bed where Lou is sitting, there's so many girls on the bed that uh, the bed is starting to collapse. <laughs> My bed was fine. Ugh. Nobody came to sit on your bed. And I love Lou. Don't get me wrong, but you know it. <laughs> we know did lead to some no. jealousies. I'd be like, you know, no offense. I know Lou very well. He's my friend since fourth grade. He's not brimming with personality. <laughs> I mean, don't these girls see I have some personality too? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting yeah. because James Santiago and I just covered the Dr. Lewis pissed at me clip for Patreon. And we did about an hour and just about an hour and change about how he still made it. He was pissed off that Lou called him out for not thanking him for participating in the Howard history of Howard Stern. Mm. And, he, and he said, wait a minute. I had to look at it from perspective. I, I, I said, Maybe I should look at it from his perspective. <laughs> we thought 20 years of therapy, it clearly has worked. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. it took, it took, and just imagine this was one of maybe a thousand, maybe a million interactions with people, not the least of which his own children, where he's had to, he, he, it, it's him first, everybody else second, or a distant 100th. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I'm looking even at his 2003 uh, post in that, oh, yeah. in that guest book. He, sure. Even in 2003, he points out, Lou Weinstein is still my friend, and I met him when I was nine at WellMet. And I call this is all one sentence with no punctuation. Lou okay. Weinstein is still my friend, and I met him when I was nine at WellMet, and I called him right away to tell him about this website. Period. Lou is a very successful eye surgeon, and if you need LASIK, dot dot dot, look him up. Anyway, okay, it's, uh, okay. So th- th- this is another thing he can't get right. He says he knew Lou since the second grade. Then he says he's knew him since the fourth grade. Then he says, mm. I know him from camp. Which is it? Mm. I know yeah. I know exactly where I met every single one of my best friends. I could tell you almost the day and the year. Yeah. You know, I know the year. I know where it was. I have a picture of him and Dr. Lou together somewhere um, <clears throat> in um, Miss America. It would be the uh, 2010 uh, no, this is them at the restaurant. Okay. This is them at age 13. Okay. Um, and it says, my future college roommate Lou and I at 13 years old. So <clears throat> I don't know if they had known each other for four years at that point. And I suspect Lou is one of the guys who Howard beat off at age 13. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah. Um, Anyhow, if I anyway. see anything interesting about Lou in here while we're listening, I'll, I'll read it out oh, to you. Okay. The next clip is called A Pelican with Ambition. In keeping with the nature-loving spirit of well-met, they gazed at Mount Rushmore and rose at sunrise to hike the Grand Canyon. 
In addition to the panoramic views, his companions also never lost sight of Howard's by now outspoken intention to succeed as a disc jockey. He was hell-bent on a career, Preston remembered. We'd say, take the needle out of your arm, Howie, you're hallucinating. One morning while he was shaving, he stopped and he said to me, I'm going to be the biggest DJ in New York. You wait and see. He was a goof, but he was passionate about it. Um, so, yeah, and that's that's the uh, in, in the history of Howard Stern, he talks a lot. They they do talk a little bit about it as well. And I think we might have played some of it in pre- previous episodes, if not about the clip somewhere you were. You were going to say if you found something, did you find did you have it? No, something? I didn't. Uh, nothing worth nothing worth um, adding in here. Okay, so this is next part. Ellen Fuckerman breaks it all down, plus enter Allison. <laughs> I know, such an unfortunate surname. At BU, Ellen Fuckerman had a similar encounter with his <laughs> He added a syllable. He did. <laughs> Led Zeppelin. The medium. He knew that disc jockeys were a dime a dozen, and he said, I've got to do something different and outrageous in the business, Fuckerman recalled. We agreed that most stuff on the radio sucked, but he was determined to succeed at it. If you're going to make money, he said, you've got to go out and do something different. Howard knew where he wanted to go, and he had drive. Meanwhile, Howard's self-esteem received a badly needed lift. He met Allison Burns through a mutual friend in their junior year. She was studying social work. And what's omitted from that is about Allison's background a little bit. And actually, I found it funny because it's not really mentioned uh, very often. But it says here, uh, her father, Robert Burns, was president of Pullman Vacuum Sweeper Company in Boston. She was studying social work. We know about the social work, but it sounds like her father, she she wasn't she wasn't uh, deprived by any means. If his, her dad was, no. had his own company uh, and a vacuum company, Jesus. Um, so, so the Allison thing... As you as you watch the movie Private Parts again, it may as well be Battlefield Earth for all the reality in, that that's involved. And funny enough, Scientologist, starring Scientologist John Travolta, who also has his issues coming out, um, and uh, as opposed to T. M. Howard, who has trouble coming out. The uh, Doctor Lou also remembers the uh, the whole romance, the whirlwind romance, completely different. And you're going to hear that in a clip as well. Glad you have that. I was going to bring, yep. uh, bring that up. He, so here's the clip. During the King Schmaltz Bagel Hour experience, Howard started dating a fellow BU student who would change his life forever. Her name was Allison Burns. Dr. Lou recalls the pair's first meeting. We were freshmen in college, and we had a mutual friend. Her name was Elise, and she was going to school, I think in Ohio, and she was transferring to Boston, or Allison was going to school somewhere else and transferring back, and, and they were... Okay, a little more. We're friends. And so she came up to visit us. We were roommates as freshmen, and that's where he met Allison the first time. I don't think that first meeting was much of anything. I think that later on, when they got together, um, it became a very intense relationship. And that was about two years later. Uh, you know, everybody's got their memory of it. I just remember the freshman year meeting, which was in our room. There was no rain, and, um, you know, the bells didn't go off for anybody, I don't think, at that meeting. So it sounds to me that the the real bullshit is, of course, the private parts, the book bullshit, and the and the movie that they met, and she and she she you know he she floored him and all this shit. Because if he went the following year in his junior year uh, to Wellmet and tried to fuck counselors and was a coxman and asked Woody Belkin and all that horse shit, then they clearly weren't a serious item until later. Right. right. Yeah. 
If they were. And, and, and how was Allison going to floor him if he was already with the model on campus? Exactly. So now we're um, going into um, – I think this is a WRNW, and uh, this there's a, you're going to hear a little bit more of so-called his recollections of what Allison thought he was like. Howard and Allison clicked. A romance was born. After they graduated in 1976, Howard returned home to Rockville Center, and Allison went to Columbia University in New York City to pursue a master's degree in social work. Okay, now there's a little bit cut out here, and that's at the top of the page on 33, if you guys are following along. Allison thought it was the biggest asshole in the world, he later told Rolling Stone. But after more than two years of flunking romantic relations and given beautiful Allison's willingness to converse with the loser that he felt himself to be, Howard became determined to get something going between them. Okay, so this is, and then this is the next part. First, as part of a class assignment, Howard was enrolled in the broadcasting film division of the School of Public Communications. He convinced Allison to appear in a movie he was making about transcendental meditation. Later, she agreed to join him on a date, going to see the movie Lenny, in which Dustin Hoffman starred as Lenny Bruce, the tortured stand-up who, like Howard himself years later, had faced repeated government censure as he sought to extend the boundaries of comedic taste. And then you hear that audio clip of him and Allison. Now, the, he mentions TM in Col the Colford books as TM, and of course this um, this book follows the book Private Parts in terms of when it was released. And Howard says it was about TM, but Ivan Reitman decides. We'll say Betty Thomas, but really, let's say Ivan Reitman. Um, Decides we're going to make it in the film. He made a film about Jesus. And uh, like I said about our buddy James, he, James figures, well, it was just to make him seem more uh, probably to make him seem more rebellious or some kind of like, oh, you're making a film about Jesus. That's more controversial. If you talk about TM, it makes you sound like a kook. Mm. If the film is about mm -hmm. what's essentially a cult. And again, yeah. not to disrespect anybody who's doing it, but that's that's it doesn't seem as edgy, I suppose. It is weird that, you know, I've mentioned before that Howard's Jewish being Jewish is downplayed in the movie. Private yeah. parts like crazy down oh, to yeah. even him making movies about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So TM was obviously a huge part of Howard's life, even though Ray had only been into it for herself for maybe a year or so at that point. Mm -hmm. But if you look at childhood, Howard's childhood bedroom, he had a framed picture of the Maharishi um, and obviously he goes, we'll, we'll talk about later, talk later about where he lives. But TM was a big part of his life. I, I'm curious about what his movie on TM would have been in, actually. Yes. And I don't know that I've, I, I don't know that ex it exists outside of, you know, the story of it. Uh, you said that there might have been some audio played on the air. There is audio in the history. Yeah. In the history of Howard Stern, there is audio of this echoey feedback thing. That's Howard was really into that back then. So yeah. in, the, in the commercials that he would cut for King Schmaltz, there's yes. this echoey feedback thing. And it was yeah. just him going slowly like Jesus. Yeah. A lot of reverb, but that, that sounds, right. that sounds like something they made for the purposes of the stupid document, the, the, the whole yeah, special, you know, that wouldn't surprise me if yeah. they did that. Yeah. And and it actually, one of the people who talks about it says it was about Jesus, but he's clearly thinking about the movie when he's recollecting mm -hmm. that. Like, he, you, you, you can't you, – you, there's again, when you get faulty narrators, this happens. I mean, you've yeah. got two sources saying it was about TM. And anyway, regardless, guys, I'm sure it was about TM because he and Colford both have – the same uh, recollection about it. And uh, either way, let's we'll play the rest of this clip. It was clear that they had a future together. 
Among the radio stations that Howard contacted for a job after college was WRNW-FM, a rock outlet in Briarcliff Manor, a suburb of New York. And by the way, guys, that was just torn down either a year, two years ago or a year ago. Uh, and they did a little bit of a, a, a background. They did a, a kind of a, a look back story in a few radio periodicals and they contacted mm-hmm. all the people that used to work there and they all had fond memories of it and stuff. Howard's got like mixed feelings about it. But again, the stories of this is one thing that really bothers me. The the and we talked about it in our private parts, the movie breakdown that he would have you believe because he needed to ally himself with punk and rock and whatever. But he knew nothing about music, didn't care about music by his own admission. Yet in the movie, it shows him drumming and not remembering, not knowing the lyrics to Pinhead, the Ramones, uh, yeah. and then drumming out of sync, hopelessly out of rhythm, air drumming. Right. And he would he would never have played that in those days. And Meg Griffin would no. tell you the same thing. So, again, it's complete revisionist bullshit. And I think... A real hardcore fan, if they bought the Colford book and read it properly, would have known that. And if they yeah, listened to well, Meg Griffin talk about it over the years. It, it says that he was uh, repulsed by punk rock, um, at Howard was. Yeah. In fact, in the, in the history of Howard Stern, um, Meg Griffin talks about it because Meg was really into – she was the music director, yep. really into music. She gets a copy of uh, Allison by Elvis Costello. And yep. gives it to Howard and says, you might like this. And he goes, oh, I could never play this. I could never play so, this. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was <laughs> like too it was, edgy for him. Right. Like it was definitely I mean, his taste and his interest in music stopped when the Beatles broke up. And right now we're talking about five or six years after the Beatles broke up. He's not interested in aware of. Isn't that funny that he dreams of uh, of being the biggest DJ in New York? Not personality driven because he he wasn't a personality and didn't have one a dj a dj who knew nothing about music despised music what was he going to do he the one the 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 names he brings up over the years constantly the beatles but again i put a gun to his head and ask him to name 10 beatles songs he'd probably Mm -hmm. have to eat the bullet mountain Mm -hmm. who actually i agreed with him i love mountain but they were not a big act cream which was, you know, kind of mountain was cream light pretty much. And, and the Led Zeppelin, the, uh, Led Zeppelin, a concert whose concert he bailed on because according to him, they were throwing dynamite into the crowd. Amazing. Go <laughs> <laughs> dynamite. I said it was like Wiley Coyote, you know, getting, falling into his own trap. And mm. then that's how he loved them so much. He bailed on a concert three quarters of the way through. Uh, and Ted Utz, who was a DJ at uh, Briarcliff in, at the WRNW at the time and talks about him in this book as well, uh, went with him to that concert. So my, I guarantee it was a promo ticket that they didn't pay a dime. And in radio, is such a small world that Ted Utz ends up being the, I guess, general manager yes. at, um, at, at the station John DeBella is working at. Uh, yes. While he and Howard were at their in their little war with each other mm-hmm. and was saying, this is not I don't know who this is. This is not the person I knew. Yes. Um, this new Howard. I don't know who this is. Right. So Donald J. Barnett, who doubled as general manager and program director, interviewed him and liked what he heard on his tape. Besides Howard's college training and first-class FCC license, he had had brief professional experience at WNTNAM in Newton. Barnett called to offer work not long afterward. Howard cited other commitments and declined. Privately, Howard was unsure of his talent and uncertain about the radio business. 
In making the rounds of radio stations in search of a job, he had come across has-beens from New York Radio, who now toiled in out-of-town obscurity. He submitted to this insecurity. He took a couple of safer positions, including an entry-level opportunity with the New York advertising agency of Benton and Bowles. Only after Allison and his parents noticed what he himself felt gnawing at him, that he had made a boneheaded detour from the radio career he wanted, did Howard reverse himself and phone Barnett for a second chance. Howard got the chance to prove himself when Barnett needed another broadcaster for Christmas morning. There's a little bit of Howard's history that's left out, including his uh, – he talks about it every now and then. He used to go and try to sell ads to uh, you know Chinese restaurants and stuff to advertise. And he talks about briefly doing something for some pornography. Do you remember yeah. this? Yeah. From pornographer? Yes. But um, as far as the Benton and Bulls thing goes, I'm almost certain – and I forget where I learned this. might be the history of Howard Stern – that it was Ben Stern who got Howard the job there. And – Howard talks about bursting into tears because he was so in over his head. He didn't yeah. understand when they just asked him, okay, do this and do this. And he didn't understand what his task was and burst into tears. And um, he also talks about the fact that he just, when he decided, whenever he decided to go back after being convinced by Allison and his parents to go back to radio, mm-hmm. he didn't inform his employers that he was leaving. He just was a no-show. Which is just um, exactly what Robin did with her first job, I believe. Right. Yeah. And so it's funny that in private parts, he is he, he is painted as a guy who is exceedingly loyal to his employers. Yeah. Right. And that is exactly the opposite of who he is. For sure. Um, and the, 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 what, it, what it also will – I think there will be a bit of overlap, guys. Um, he – didn't know about music and he would basically try to listen to the other disc jockeys to copy what they were doing. And it's, again, there's no shame in admitting that the reason why last episode people were, um, uh, a little excessively hard on us, even fans like fans of our show were saying, you guys were a little, uh, tough on him considering, you know, his college radio, King biscuit bagel hour, blah, 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 uh, King Schmaltz bagel hour. Sorry. And that was his first time. No, no, no. We weren't being hard on him for being bad. We're being hard on him because he claimed this was some kind of watershed moment in his in his career and that it was so edgy and so amazing and so life changing, even though he'll tell you as well. He was the weak link in the uh, in the history of Howard Stern. He was the weak, weak link in the team. He went on and talked about all the like this cre- street cred it gave him for being fired when it wasn't he wasn't fired. You don't get yeah, fired from I, a job you didn't have. It wasn't a job. I, I saw those comments, some of those comments that you're talking about, and I didn't comment yeah. on them, but I disagree with them. Um, you you do see signs in someone at that age that they have something. I mean, Eddie Murphy was 19 when he joined SNL's cast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris, Chris, all of these comedians talk about how they were young kids when they got up on stage and started doing stand-up, Dave Chappelle and so on. So oh, yeah. even if he's not fully cooked – Right. You see that he's got the right ingredients. That's Howard right. had none of that. And no. one thing I wanted to point out, this was not Howard's first time doing radio, if you're to believe him. If you're to believe him, he had been doing radio shows since he was five. Yes. So he had had 13, 14, 15 years of practice at this point, if you're to believe him. So, right. um, you know, he should – I'll tell you, when, when I, I was in film school 
Mm-hmm. Um, and because I had a video camera in my teens, I had a leg up on the kids who were just now starting to try things for their very first time. So mm-hmm. if he had had a recording suite in his in his basement, thanks to his which, father, yeah, and which he, did. he did have, and you know, all of us, he had a huge leg up. So um, he, he there should have been some signs well, of the Howard. Yeah. Story. It's like the yeah the comedian's perfect example the the the, the Kevin Kevin Pollock talked about it he you know memorized the Bill Cos a lot of them memorized Bill Cosby albums and did them in in front of their other students so they you know were getting comfortable on the mic they could be and that's and that's pretty much how they got started you rip off people Jay Thomas talked about it as well he wasn't a stand up but he ripped off old bits and and did them as uh, as his own and uh, that got him the um the, the gave him the stones to perform in front yeah. of people howard at never at any point has faith in his own ability cuz he has none and he'll tell you about it but then mm-hmm. he had no personality and that's one key um, point that gets repeated by all the jocks at WRNW. He went in shapeless, formless, personality wise, nothing, mm-hmm. no color, no opinions. He was a straight conservative. He wanted to be one of those guys at you know, uh, you know, one oh seven point two, and talking yeah. about you know, you know, the Doobie Brothers here on you know, kicks and, FM. And he na- and he naively thought that he would be singled out as the voice of New York, being the yes. guy who just does the same intros as everyone else. Right. But, you know, it's funny. He acknowledges that for the stuff that he would play on his radio show, he just copied whatever everybody else was doing. If they're doing it, I'll do it. And that's the extent he'll ever admit to copying others, other DJs. He, mm-hmm. you know, he'll never say, I, I listen to tapes of D- Steve Dahl and just copy it, which is yep. what he did do. But yes. he will say, yeah, I just because music's not important. Yeah, I just copied whatever music they played. It was a stressful initiation. The inferior equipment failed him soon after he went on the air. Oh, I should preface this. So it, this is the, the part that's missing in the, in the audio. As Christmas 1976 approached, Barnett agreed to host WRNW's morning show on the holiday itself so that the regular host could spend the day with his family. But New York station WKTU-FM, where Barnett was a part-time disc jockey, asked him to broadcast there on Christmas morning. What to do? WKTU... Uh, it says here, it was a soft rock station that called itself the Mellow Sound, evolved two years later into Disco 92, and eventually became WXRK or K-Rock, Howard's home base since 1985. A little bit of trivia. Uh, a WKTU, a union shop, paid much better than WRNW, and Barnett believed that he would undermine his standing if he turned down the Christmas shift. I went to my list of people for our WRNW, and Howard was first on the list, Barnett recalled. I called him, and he jumped at the chance to come in that day. <laughs> <laughs> if it meant yeah. getting away from family, sure. And maybe, you yeah. know, they the opportunity to get on the air, sure. He was unable to turn off the microphone, which also meant that he could not easily cue up the records he wanted to play without putting those sounds on the air as well. And then it says, like an inexperienced pilot calling the control tower for emergency instructions on how to land the rickety plane. Think airplane, the movie, guys, and all the sweat pouring off the guy's face. Yeah. Uh, Like Niagara Falls. Uh, The panicky Stern phoned Barnett at WKTU. I tried to suggest what he might do to cut the mic, but he was unable to restore the speaker in the studio. So when I told him to call the chief engineer at home, uh, Barnett remembered. (laughs) So Howard woke up the guy (laughs) New Year's Eve. Well, Christmas morning. Christmas morning, yeah. Yeah, according to how Howard am I New supposed Year's. to queue up my next Beatles song? 
if I can't <laughs> mute the microphone. Yeah, you think he would have picked up something from Ben at the uh, going into the studio all those all those uh, years, you know, and, and right. making seeing and having his own, as you said, his own recording deck at home. Or that he would just play the whole album because he's lazy and uncreative. Yeah. yeah. Put on the Beatles album, let it go, then flip sides and let it go. Right. Right. Play one Almond Brothers cut from live at the Fillmore East and just yeah. have fun with it and go take a shit. The Christmas <laughs> hassle was not held against him. Barnett found the 22-year-old Howard to be reliable and professional, and he gave Howard a steady amount of work at the farm league rate of four dollars an hour. The quote was, some people became hard to control, but I don't ever recall having a problem with Howard. Uh, and then this we get into the lovely quote about money, which I, you, I know you you fucking loathe when he brings this up. Howard yeah, this is four hour. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Air shift. Go. No, no. I want to hear this. Yeah. Sorry. WRNW was a 3000 watt FM toilet bowl, Howard said later. But WRNW became an extremely rare and valuable radio environment. He was encouraged to be inventive. He also vented some of the adolescent obsessions that would help earn him a large and receptive audience in the years that followed. So he had a 24 hour work week, four hour shifts, mm-hmm. six days a week, four dollars an mm-hmm. hour and 96. Mm-hmm. We, we, we did the um, uh, interest calculator or the uh, sorry, the inflation calculator thing. And it was it was a part it was part time work. And that's all he did. He did. Yeah. He never and mentioned I, in any source that he did other radio work elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, minimum wage at that time was two dollars and 30 cents an hour. So right. four dollars is he's he's making almost double minimum wage. Right. And, um, you know, his salary that was about five thousand dollars a year, which is what Benson was paying for his education. Also, yes. Yes. Five thousand dollars a year. But I also right. want to point out that this whole ninety six dollars a week thing. That only lasts for about seven months before his salary more than doubles. I think it goes up to 2.4 times what he's making in that, a matter yeah. of like seven months. Right. When he takes over as program director and still maintains an air shift, it, it, he mm-hmm. gets paid something like 12000 for the year, according to the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so – one of the books anyway. So here uh, is the next clip, Descriptions of WNRW. It's a short clip. Conditions did not come much more primitive than what Howard encountered when he started work at the end of 1976. At the same time, the Spartan setup exerted its own funky charm. The remote location was in a countrified setting and the owners were rarely around to stiffen the laid-back operation. The choice conditions allowed a bunch of enthusiastic longhairs to enliven the airwaves with an eclectic assortment of rock sounds. According to the other jocks, they had something like 10,000 LPs there. 10,000 is enormous by any standards. So yeah. there was there's no shortage of, of music there if you wanted to play anything. And I'm sure it was extremely diverse. Um, and, yeah, and if you yeah. are – if you really love music, you can't believe your luck if you go yeah, into this be, and there are 10,000. I mean that's a library. You, you, you'd, you, be in, you'd be in heaven. Yeah. That's, a, that's one iPod. Classic. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. so let's. So we go with WRNW. Some faulty memories from other staffs. So this is this is a uh, continuing that. Well, my first radio job really was uh, WRNW in Westchester, and uh, it was a very difficult situation for me. I was not a good broadcaster. Costello in the background. Good straight broadcaster. And. Uh, I wasn't thought of much. I think at most radios. <laughs> Ironic. They're playing. <laughs> they're playing. Um, Elvis uh, Costello. El- Elvis Costello. The, the same thing he wouldn't play on the air. Never. Su- yeah. Suggested. That's ironic. I always I always get annoyed when he says, I wasn't a good straight 
broadcaster. You're not a good straight anything. No, but he's not this whole straight <laughs> broadcaster thing. <laughs> Wrong word is, to use. What? Yeah. What? If he's not a straight broadcaster, then what kind of broadcaster is he? What's the opposite of straight broadcaster in his mind? Gay. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's <laughs> obvious. Um, but I guess zookeeper. I don't know. What's the opposite of straight broadcaster? <sighs> what he was was a warm body. Uh, now, maybe not so much. A warm body they could throw in the air. And, and, and he was he was lucky to do it at a time when you could fuck up and fail yeah. upwards because in a modern setting, well, first of all, the, the state of radio is nothing, nothing to speak of. But we have often talked about if he decided to do a, a Rogan and make his current podcast into a paid podcast and go on the metric of how many people he has on Patreon or uh, Anchor or um, whatever podcast thing you're using or if you went on youtube and just broadcast a show live and you sh saw the the real numbers and allowed them to be seen he would uh be in the fetal position and he'd he'd die of embarrassment yeah well he couldn't do that now anyway because sirius has the exclusive rights to his archive he wouldn't right. even be able to put his archive there so he's he would only have his however many shows he's going to do that year and if he's not contractually obligated to do that many and it's only by his own momentum that he does them. He's not doing them. No, God, no. And uh, and I mean, what any successful show that you see out there now, what's the, the what's the one thing they have in common? They're regular, they're dependable, they're entertaining, um, and they deliver on promises. So he wouldn't be able to. And the amount of time that he took off this last year, like I, I'm sure you were amazed because normally it's uh, 112 shows and then 97. I think it ended up being 97. There was a deficit of about three weeks. I think, I mean, Maybe I don't more. know. I, I know Gary Puppet on Twitter said it was in the 80s, not even 97, but in the 80s. According according to Raven, according to her calculations, and she's, oh, our, okay. ab she's our QF abacus, she said okay. 97, which I believe know, her. versus 79, which makes perfect yeah. sense, which we both think maybe Jennifer Vitz is on our team. And um, it was a whole – there was an extra three weeks of vacation shoved in the summer. So when he went away, it was a huge furor amongst the six listeners he still has. Uh, that all go on Reddit with their 12 different uh, accounts, each of them. And, and, and people uh, understand – Oh, I'm yeah. sorry to cut you off. No, 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 please. I was going to say, people understand that the, the Howard is a numerologist, a, a narcissistic numerologist. Mm -hmm. So he chose 112 because his birth date is 112. His production company is 112. He's got right. the he had the tattoo of his Capricorn. Yeah. Um, his birth date is everything to him. So right. is 97 the IQ, the, 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 the SAT <laughs> score <laughs> equivalent to his IQ? Or how did he 90, land on something it, like that? It was 99 in the Inc.com article, uh, okay. but 97 yeah. is pretty close. But we, yeah. we, we've got to figure that it was forced on him because of the pay cut as well. Uh, uh, Carrie and I did a, a Marbles episode, which is really, uh, I think, one of our best. I keep referencing it. Every successive contract he get, people would get at Sirius came with a 40 to 60% pay cut, wage cut, each mm -hmm. year. So the M&M contract, the Oprah contract, they get a big the, – the initial one is the big one. The second one, even though people were saying, oh, it was $80 million, it might not have even been $40 million or $50 million. Hence, a lot of the uh, cutbacks. And then when he gets into 2015, 2016 contract, it's even less. So it would be 50 or 40 percent, 60 percent of that contract. When you get into yeah. the fourth contract, you're really, you don't even have enough money to keep uh, Beth in Lucky Charms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> she's doing store brand. Yeah, um, pretty much. They, uh, those numbers are 
never credible. There, no one will ever admit to being the person who gave those numbers. So it's not like, uh, you know, we we spoke to Jennifer Witz and she tells us that he's now making ninety million. Th- those numbers are always anonymously, yeah, uh, uh, shared. And right. from Howard's camp, they're not going to be. Um, Sirius isn't going to go and and scare their board by saying <laughs> we are going to give him ninety million dollars, even though we could give him twelve dollars. He has nowhere else to go. We have his archives. Well, yeah, in 2010, it was all the all the analysts agreed. It was a number they allowed Stern to press release so he doesn't lose face. Yeah, because there's just no way he's getting 120 million for this contractor. The well, 120, the 120 million, this last one was only because Rogan signed for 100 million for Spotify. Yeah, and if you don't think that saving face is part of Howard's negotiations. Look no further than the AGT farewell video. So it sure. could seem like Howard was leaving on top of the world. He had he had finally found the dancing dog act he had hoped he would find. And now yeah. I'm off uh, to explore <laughs> other opportunities. Uh, no, Simon Cowell, they had already established you're out of here, Howard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, the, the, the leak. The leak revealed they wanted him gone with a year uh, – sorry, I think it was two and a half years left in his contract. Yes. Um, so anyway, saving face is – yeah, that's a big thing for him. And oh, yeah. And that number that they always throw out there, they they some articles will be honest enough to say that this includes everything associated, every staffer, every utility, every rent, everything is bundled into this. So if mm-hmm. it – if it relates to Howard Stern in any way, then it comes out of this budget. But that's not his salary. No. And the other thing is, of course, that um, if you want to look at Dan from Illinois, the lawyer from Illinois, who busted his balls after he got yeah, on the ATT and claimed, okay. he said, you got a, you got a pay cut. He goes, how do you know? I got a raise. How do you figure? Well, I'm working fewer days a year, but I got a raise. And uh, he goes, yeah, well, how do you know? Right. I look at my paycheck. Oh, you mean if you're getting fewer hours – and you're not making 100 million you're making 80 million or 60 or 70 then you got a wage cut no there's no nice way of looking at it and i'll i'll tell you that a a mind a devious mind like that would also say actually i still am getting a raise i'm saying fewer words per hour yes i sit quietly <laughs> while my staff talks right um or I say fewer new words per hour. I redo the show I did yesterday, which I've already yeah. been paid for, and I just redo it. Um, I, I, a devious mind like Howard's will be telling himself always, "You're scamming them." Right. It's his own. New, it's 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 wiggy math. You're always aware as the staff of DJs when a new DJ has arrived because the natural thing in radio is for people to feel somewhat threatened. Uh Uh-oh, there's a newcomer, and is he or she going to get so good that they might take my job? Maybe there was some of that. I don't remember Howard being very pushy toward seeing to it that he introduced himself to everybody. I think that he was probably just as much a loner in those days as, uh, as I was, really. I think a lot of people that get into radio are loners, and, you know, that's why we do it. So he would he would uh, he painted the uh, the image of they were adversarial because he was such a dork and he was an outsider and they were cool because they liked cool music. And she's saying it was the exact opposite. He hadn't he didn't come up forward. He was shy. He was retiring and um, and didn't, you know, didn't blend. He didn't blend well. He mm-hmm. was just sort of he was the mm-hmm. background. He was a wallpaper and he had no personality. And again, he has to be the victim. He was shunned as a as a dating a guy in dating in you know 
Boston University. Now he's shunned at his first radio job. He's always got to be a victim. Unmistakable presence because he's really big. And I think that he felt maybe, I can only guess, I don't know, we didn't talk much. I think that he felt maybe a little uncomfortable around us. And because, as he admits so humorously on the air, how insecure so many of the years of his life were, that maybe he felt that insecurity or that we were judging him or thinking he wasn't cool because we were all into punk and hanging at CBGBs or whatever. And none of that was really the case. We were all just trying to keep our jobs done because we all had... Okay, a little more. 80 jobs for four bucks an hour to stay employed there. When Howard came into it, you know, he was a new guy and he was uh, really in love with his girlfriend and he was just so happy to be there. He was so happy to be on the radio. It was just such a love for him. And, and that kind of energy is great. I mean, you know, it's nice to have energy around. Okay, one well, little less, but 15 seconds, guys. The fact that he was kind of an odd duck at first just made it kind of funny. But, you know, he was earnest, he was hardworking, and he was absolutely committed to doing radio. You know, why else are you there for 96 bucks a week for like, you know, 70 hours a week, which we were all doing? Okay, now, so that's, yes, exactly. So 90 bucks a week, uh, $96 a week, but these people were doing other shifts elsewhere, wherever they could. He wasn't. He never, ever mentions that. It was 24 hours a week, not 70. Sorry, 20, yeah, 24 hours a week. But they were all doing massive hours wherever they could to because to supplement their income. Right. He was still and living they were at doing, home. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and soon he was going to be living at In the, the monastery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next clip is called um, Ben Chimes In, Meg Talks Equipment and More Ramones, Ramones Revisionist Bullshit. Ben Stern. After he got out of college, I felt his education, as far as radio is concerned, was not finished. So I uh, used to, there was a newspaper that came out, you know, from the industry, where the guys would be voice teachers, and I had him contact, I didn't know, I, had, I knew this guy. So I had him go there and contact the guy, and the guy was very honest. He says, you're all right, he says, but I'll give you a real voice teacher. And how did it go to this woman, who was a voice teacher, and it helped him a lot. So he pursued it from that angle, and then I would have discussions with him, you know, but I opened Okay, and if you want to hear, guys, this is a radio promo from 1977 that'll open in another player. Uh, and this is him doing exactly what I mentioned. So just one sec. Let's see if I can get this correct. Hi, I'm Howard Stern, the program director of Westchester's Rock Station. You know, it's really hard to describe what makes a radio station a success. We here at WRNW have narrowed it down to a very few special elements. First and foremost, <laughs> the music. Steely Dan, which he stir- trashes yeah. Gary for liking. Yes, and it just sounded exactly like, hi, this is Sal Governale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was. it's just amazing how that uh, goes full circle. Rio 107's music can be described in one catch-all phrase. We just represent the best in today's rock music and the music of years past. Okay, I'll leave. So that's that's an example of what he was trying to, what he was trying to do back in the day. Yes, post coaching, absolutely. So we'll continue with uh, continue with what Ben Stern was going on about. We said to him, I I used the term, you got to have diarrhea of the mouth if you want to be in this business, because these guys they come in to the studio, they don't stop, on and on, and it's good, because they really. uh, uh, working at their trade. I thought if I ever got a job in radio, I needed to go out and be a straight announcer. And that brought me to WRNW. And WRNW, I was the worst announcer, the worst straight announcer. But I needed to learn how to become a straight announcer. And I learned, needed straight, to learn to straight, straight. 
Yep. Let's keep. Let's let's hyper focus, guys. Because my voice would go. You know, I, I I was I was so nervous. Howard's WRNW debut fell on New Year's Day, 1977. His first shift was a disaster. My first shift, I get on the air. I was so nervous, my hands were shaking. <laughs> the station was empty, thank God, because it was New Year's morning. Uh huh. I hit the button to play the record. The whole board jams up. <laughs> I must have hit it too hard. Now, incidentally, guys, when you hear this this little interlude where him, Robin, and Artie are in the room, that's not actually on the air. Like, and they're not in studio. Or if they are, they're recording, but it's not a day day's release. This is something they recorded specifically for the special. They threw the, the statement at him, and they just said, okay, we want you to talk about this before the special. And they all stayed. Mm-hmm. They were like they could have been in a, one of the uh, meeting rooms, for example. And he was mm. recounting this because even all their audio levels are off all over the place. Artie sounds a little bit lower, which isn't uncommon, but the, there's a definite there's a difference in sound. And oh, that's it an wasn't observation. It wasn't organic because there is a section where they're talking about Kinnison and then uh, they start playing the old tapes and all of a sudden they start recounting. But it doesn't sound like it's on the air because there's a definite difference in that sound versus this. You'll hear mm-hmm. it when you, you – you'll only hear it when you compare. But um, so this is him recounting and, of course, he gets the yeah. day wrong. <laughs> One thing I want to quickly point out is sure. that every time he recalls what his voice sounded like in the beginning, he always gives all these excuses like, oh, I was nervous. So my voice was like this. That's not how your voice sounded. He he never goes anywhere near what his voice actually sounded like, which would require Whoa. him powering down the settings, stopping uh, with the uh, diaphragm exercises, speaking as you normally do, um, which he won't do. So he always gives just the worst impression of what he actually sounded like. And I always so, just, find that revealing so quick question for those of those in the audience who for the purposes of people in the audience who want to know what do you think he does when he aside from you know distinctly lowering his voice on purpose the way i'm doing on you know just to to, Mm -hmm. that that affectation that he would do besides compression settings how do you account for talk shows where or guest appearances whatever on somewhere where he sounds you know, consistent. You have to figure that he's backstage with the mic guys, giving them settings for the way he wants to sound, and submitting that as kind of like a that's my that's my um, that's that's on my uh, what do you call it rider. This is yeah. if I'm going to do your show, I have to sound <laughs> like this. You, that has to be the only answer. You know, it, it used to be a trademark of the old satellite days that mm-hmm. a person would not believe they were talking to Howard, a caller, because they go, yes. you don't sound like Howard. Right. Uh, because they were hearing a different version of that voice. But, you yes. know, it is anytime you listen to a newscast or a podcast where they want to play for you a clip from Howard's show, mm-hmm. it – I laugh always at how Howard's voice sounds so fake. I mean, you're listening to a normal conversation and then you hear suddenly a voice that has nothing but digital processing and whatever else is done to it to make it sound. I mean, he's making the lowest sounds, but they're being amplified and whatever is being done to it. I'm surprised that nobody else ever says, whoa, why are his levels so different from everyone else's? It never comes up. I guess they just buy that that's his voice. Well, there is a forum. There's an audio forum that I found because I was looking for 
basically mic settings for Howard Stern. And the guy said that he had been to the studio and this would have been about 2010, 2011. And he said, he explained, there's definitely some uh, effects going on. And the guys in the back, he said, the serious people at the time told me what they use. So just the, just the idea, just the concept that he, there are prescribed settings for his mm -hmm. mic. Obviously. Well, I mean, there always are like, these guys like to sound mm -hmm. a certain way, but that there are, in their ways to make him sound different, that means he must need them because otherwise you would get the most natural sounding mic as I have done. This is my voice. I don't do anything to it. I have a, like a, um, what like a cloud lifter to increase the gain. So, so that I don't have to actually use my audio interface and get more distortion as a result. That's not changing my voice. That's giving the gain more power artificially and uh, without sacrificing quality. And then uh, a really natural sounding mic. And this is my voice. He, uh, the guy said he couldn't remember the exact settings, but there's, it's the mic, it's the kind of mic he wants to use, but also settings that are made. But also he admits in one of these clips that he used, he probably, he goes, I probably slowed my voice down. I yeah, guarantee he, at Sirius, he has his voice uh, pitched in such a way that it's slower. It's imperceptibly slower, mm. but it's definitely been altered so that whatever well, comes out is slower than, you know, yeah. normal. What, what he meant was that he would record it and then re-record it back playing that tape at a, a slower speed. So it would Absolutely. deepen his voice. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, at the time, too, when they would do the radio, they didn't necessarily have to be live on the air. I mean, he could, no. could pre-record, especially if they took calls. Yeah, that was that was rarely a live call. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it'd be between songs. You would hear uh, you would take the call and then, you know, cut it down. And so he could have done all kinds of trickery. But um, in addition to trickery, I know that he does diaphragm exercises. And this is yes. all just cobbled together from things that he said and let slip over the years. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, from insightful comments he'll make to high pitch about how you could change your voice. Mm -hmm. Um that he wouldn't – why would he know this? He knows nothing unless it's something that fascinates him. Um, right. So, so why would he know what tricks you could use? I mean to drinking hot water uh, as a way to um, open up your vocal cords. Mm -hmm. um, he used to smoke just, just so that he would have a deeper voice. A gravelly voice, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean he's tried everything and uh, he's come to the conclusion that just being yourself – Suddenly, your voice is deep. Yeah, well, yeah. The truth, suddenly, your voice is deep. <laughs> yeah, and just also being yourself isn't enough. You have to alter it somehow. The um, the 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 thing is, guys, and if you really want an example, then you go to those um, red carpet type situations where he's being interviewed while going through somewhere. And the one clip that I always use is, uh, you know, what's a perfect date night for you and Beth? And he goes, oh, about dinner, movie glass of wine and then Beth comes on and they do a split screen all of a sudden it's her and she goes definitely a bottle of wine and you hear his voice but you definitely see you can hear him and see him artificially going well Ugh. so that that trick only works so much when you're on a mic that's not your own yeah you want to hear a good yeah. a really good example is when you hear him <laughs> going up on stage in front of so I'm thinking of the blockbuster music the blockbuster VHS award that he accepted for private parts okay. where he goes, I would just like to use my time to make out with Heather Locklear. <laughs> and it's, the, it's all diaphragm. 
or the fart man appearance on MTV. And exactly the fart man thing too, where he's not, doesn't have the studio echo anymore and the booming uh, effects. And he's got to do the gulpy thing. So I always hear gulp whenever I hear him talk, um, when he's outside of his studio, it always sounds very gulpy to me. Like he's trying to create an air bubble in his throat to make his voice sound deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's from this uh, coaching that Ben Stern paid for. Yep. You broke it. 107 FM, WRNW. I'm Howard Stern with you each and every that's day. That's not how it I sounded either. Two for Tuesday. 107 FM, the Ramones. Gaba gaba wee, gaba gaba gay, gaba 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 so that was from Private Parts. They just took the audio from the movie and they cobbled up the two scenes. One was at Boston University where he supposedly yeah. dropped a bunch of eight tracks on an LP uh, on the deck. And then the the previous, the, the Ramones shit is at Briarcliff Manor at WRNW. And again, guys, he would never play the fucking Ramones in a million never. years. And the only reason he had them, the only, when he did have the Ramones on, it was because they were at war with each other. And they'd been at war with each right. other since the late 70s, since they pretty much started. Or around 1980, jo- Joey, um, Joey's girlfriend slept, uh, Johnny stole Joey's girlfriend. And that's uh, the KKK took my baby away is all about <laughs> that. <laughs> it's a great song. And, and at it's, the time, I mean, him. that was one of the biggest celebs he could have gotten probably as a tired Joey Ramone, welcome well, to he, my nightmare. Well, yeah, uh, and he certainly didn't care about the music, and that's kind of the whole no. point. Why would you portray yourself as a rock DJ with D. the D. Snyder look and all this shit, but not know anything about the music? Yeah, it's appearing to be interested in something is very important to him. Absolutely, appearing to be Saturday Night Live's biggest fan, even though he would never watch Saturday Night Live, sure. is very important to him. Yeah. Uh, appearing to care about fashion, uh, even though he knows nothing and cares nothing about fashion, is important to him. Oh, yeah. Yep. I call this guy New Year's morning to tell him I can't get the re- I can't change records. The record's running out. and I don't know what to do. And the guy hung up the phone and goes, call the engineer. Don't bother me. You just woke me up. New Year's Day is my one day off. You can't win for uh, losing. I, 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 you should have heard this radio show, what a train wreck it was. <laughs> you have no friggin' idea. I couldn't change records. I couldn't go from... He could change records. He just couldn't shut the fucking mic off, and that's what Colford yeah. explained. So they would just hear him in the background flipping the thing over... Yeah, or taking the thing out of the sleeve, etc. Yeah. One record to another. Uh, so was, how, what did you do? The engineer came in, started yelling at me. This big fat guy. And uh, he he fixed it at some point, I guess. While the show is going and, on. And all the other jocks heard me, and, and they they think I was horrible. I was the laughing stock of the station. <laughs> the program director was going to fire me, I heard, <sighs> because I woke him up. Uh huh. And again, I had to beg for his mercy. I said, I'm so sorry. Well, and, and as it turned out, he pressed two buttons at once, and he wasn't supposed to, and that's how he I, <laughs> screwed it up. I was gonna say you would, you're you're not the laughing stock because there was something wrong with the equipment. It's because no. there's something wrong that you you did that yes. you needed a laughing stock. Totally, because you're terrible. You're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> God, it's a miracle I sit here today. But this New Year's Day, uh, what year? Like, see, I'd love to know the year, and you don't remember stuff like that. 1977. 70, New Year's Day, so that's officially when you first signed on, sort of. Yeah. 
like on the real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was awful. <laughs> Same thing for me the first time I was on, sort of. I just couldn't put the mic up uh, loud enough. I was afraid to bring the pot up so that people would be able to hear me, and then friends started to call. That was Meg Griffin, guys, once again. And yeah. saying, Meg, you sound great, which wasn't true, but you gotta, like, turn the pot up. We can't hear you, you know? Well, the equipment was not high-tech, and it was rarely, if ever, replaced. I mean, our checks bounced when, you know, if you didn't get to the bank fast enough. So if the board screwed up on him, I think it probably wasn't his fault. Give him the benefit of the doubt, but I was not a witness. He was a caricature of what an FM DJ would sound like. <laughs> you know, he had a perfectly normal voice, which he uses now, but back then it was W-R. <laughs> okay, gonna let the one play out, guys. M-W. Howard Stern, good morning to you. Everybody at RW. He was good. here's Jody Mitchell. He was kind of being in a relaxed FM studio, but his voice was somewhat high, and uh, he wasn't. And the rest of us were, were, uh, were uh, a little bit more. Um, uh, let's see, I don't know if high is the right word, but we were more energized than he was. I was just surprised that anybody who had been hired there who had a desire to be on FM radio playing rock and roll records, seemed to be that conservative, which I just couldn't understand that at that point in my life because FM radio and Scott Muni and... Okay, a little more. ...NEW and protesting against the war and all the way up to punk and everything like that. To me, that was what sort of defined our existence. And um, dissent. And, and Howard seemed to be the opposite of that. So I remember that. I remember thinking that, boy, we have somebody really conservative in our midst. Which is ironic because it's not ironic. It's it's funny because in the there was a complete cultural overturn in the night in the late seventies with punk came with it like a whole new genre of music the same way he adopted grunge for four years after it had broke and adopted the look. He's mm-hmm. never timely with anything. He was never going to play the Sex Pistols. He was never going to play Magazine or Suicide, or he was never going to play Devo or the Buzzcocks uh, or anything, or Elvis Costello. Let's take it like more mild type of you know punk at the time or Blondie, mm-hmm. uh, you know bands at the time that were new actually wave making waves. And then New Wave, yeah, absolutely, because it was all about him. He didn't give a fuck about the music. He just wanted to be popular. That's all it was. And it's such a shallow ambition. When you consider, I showed you uh, I, uh, privately. There's a um, a, a documentary out. It's on Amazon Prime, I think, and I'm going to rent it actually because it looks good. Uh, it's called "What I Am, What I Play," and it's about Charles Lacordaire, uh, Meg Griffin. It, it follows four DJs and this guy from Toronto, this Marsden, uh, Mar- Mark Marsden. I can't remember his name. Um, I wasn't a radio guy at the time, so I don't I don't know. But it was there were four people that they go after, and they just talk about the the how radio changed and what happened. I think it's about ninety minutes, and it looks really good. So I am what I Char- play. Charles was the Boston guy, is that right? I believe so. Yeah, and so they uh, and Howard gets a mention. He gets you get you hear him uh, uh, mentioned here and there, of course. Um, but uh, and he does a little ta- voiceover that they managed to get for the purposes of Meg's. Uh, CV and she it's part it's from the same video that I I clipped for this show but I didn't know there was a documentary because I wasn't looking at the the graphic I was just waiting for the audio to start not looking at it and uh, she says the same thing he was very conservative he wanted the gig Mm -hmm. and he that would have been that's the like Mr. Rock and Roll doesn't want to actually play rock and roll it had to be baffling because here you are in your 20s 
yeah. and you get a job, but it's not a real job, and that you're not stressed out. You know, yes. uh, I mean, you could be, you you could be stressed out if if it's if you're intimidated to go on the air. But yeah. these guys want to be on the air. Yes, but and it's a know, learning it's not ground. Like, yeah, it's not physically demanding. It comes with a little bit of notoriety. I mean, right. you know, we'll get to it a little bit later. But if you please the advertisers, they'll send you stuff or. Yeah. They'll ask you to come and DJ at the club, uh, yeah. which, you know, which is different then than it is now, oh, yeah. DJing at the club. For but, sure. But you know, it, it definitely had its perks. Yes. And it had to be very baffling to these guys when FM radio meant something and AM mm-hmm. radio meant something, and they were very different. Yes. Um, and you know, it, it, it would be like if you had a hip-hop radio station, and in mm-hmm. comes a guy wearing a, a cowboy hat. And uh, a vest. And you go, wait a minute. Are you sure you want to be here? That's as shocking as it was when Howard came in to these guys. Yeah. Who yeah, I am. Wait a minute. Who is this guy that, that is nothing like the music that we play, the people who listen to our stage? He's nothing like any of them. What is he doing here? I think that that's hard to appreciate in well, our the, the, uh, today. It, yeah, for certain. And, and the other thing is the idea of him having to change his image at all is a little baffling to me, except that he wanted that, of course, that mainstream acceptance. And what's mainstream at the time? Well, in the 80s, it was hair hair metal. So he decided he was yep. going to go with that. And he decided the image, it, was ma- it mattered when, in fact, look at all those radio guys. None of them look like rock and rollers. They all look like tubby guys, tubby white guys. Right. And, you know, except when when hit hip hop, just some black guy, you know, playing hip hop tunes. They might have been overweight because it's a sedentary job. It's not like you're yeah. running around at the in the studio do, on a treadmill doing your show. And it, by nature, it's not visual, so your look isn't Is what defines you. No, of course not. And if you made it to a concert and you were going to announce, let's say, you were going to MC or host a band, introduce them at a uh, some function that's based around the radio station, like the uh, the Jingle Ball, for example, they would often get the local DJs, the DJs of the station, to go do stuff in between. Yep. Acts, if there were multi acts, if like a concert bill, um, or the opening act, and blah blah blah, and so. <laughs> he was so hung up on his image that he, did, he wasn't hung up enough to do the research on the music and at least be a proper poser. He wanted right. the image. That was way more important than the and, music. I think it's very know, telling. Uh, you know, I, I was a teenager in the 90s, and back then, independent record stores were a big deal. Independent music stores were a big deal. Sure. And I... When you're in the, a teenager in the 90s and you're trying out new bands for the first time and you're going into an independent store, you feel judged by the people. Oh, yes. You walk in going like, oh, yeah. are they asking themselves, why don't you already own this album? You're not cool? Or you're, you're trying this? And so anyway, that kind of feeling of judgment must have been going on with Howard when a 20, a 20 these guys go, Howard. you don't know who Elvis Costello is? You don't right. know who these guys are? Right. <clears throat> so why are you here? Why would you want to work at an independent music store when you have no interest in music? That's well, that's what well, these guys must have been going through. Well, don't you remember the kind of fun of going and looking at the new releases and you see, oh, wow, America, uh, uh, the latest Mary's Danish album, and some guy looking at it go, oh, I got the first one. Have you heard that? Is it any good? And all these conversations that would happen from other patrons, you had no idea who they were. 
like a lot of them yeah. and they'd start up yeah. conversations. Oh, that's a great album, man. I just got that last week or two months ago. It's totally mm-hmm. worth it. And then listening trays, they would allow you to listen when CDs became big CD players yep. littered the store with headphones where you could actually play the music and then, yep. you know, they eventually get a, maybe if you're lucky, get, they'll sell the demo because <laughs> they don't want to, it's not selling well. First, so you get a cheaper copy with my first job. Most of my paycheck, I bet you went to CDs. Same. Which were very expensive back then, you know. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it would be five hours worth of work to buy a CD yeah. base. I was uh-huh. I was lucky and- enough. Sorry, a pawn shop opened up, and they were selling CDs at five bucks a pop. UCDs. Okay. Yeah, you were. And a, you univer- were- and a university town where these idiots would buy all the college. Yeah bands and get you know that i don't want to hear like they didn't even listen to the fucking thing they just got it to be cool paid the 14.99 or 20 19.99 offloaded mm-hmm. it for a couple bucks and i would literally walk out of the pawn shop with about 50 dollars worth of cds in of, of like 10 cds for 50 bucks i was in yep. hog heaven yep I and, remember. yeah so so uh you know you'd get you'd, you'd hear one song from this band yeah. Only a few times because you couldn't call yeah. it up on demand like you like no. with YouTube. You'd hear it one or two times and go, okay, here's the gamble. Five hours of my labor. I yeah. hope this thing's good. Yeah, well, and, in, look, uh, import albums. Import you, albums used to be a, a, oh, a, yeah. a, a, a short load of money. Each, $35 each you would pay for a Fuck live the album that was imported. Bo- yeah, bootleg maybe. Yeah, pressed in Italy and, uh, you know, <laughs> sent over here with bootleg cover art and everything. I, yeah. I spent a lot of money on those things. Same. Uh, and, and you know, it was a huge joy, obviously, to go. I mean, you yeah. would go to places. And I lived in the Chicagoland area. Yeah. Not in the city. And to, or and you'd go to the city to go to check out the, the CD stores and record stores. And I mean, Absolutely. CDs. I didn't buy vinyl. Um, yeah. And, and you know, it was a huge. And then even up into my. Teen, late teens and twenties, the, the amount of money I would have spent on concerts, which Howard would have been able to go to for free as a DJ. Yes, I um, didn't care. And, <laughs> right. Um, you know, the, the, the amount of money that you would spend on pursuing the kind of stuff that Howard had no interest in whatsoever. That's why I, I that's why it's hard to appreciate, I think, unless you pause and go, how weird it must be that you want to be involved in this scene Yes, that it that, that that so many people are so passionate about and consider you lucky to be involved with, and you right. don't have any interest in. No interest, but also no confidence, and that like that one feeds the other. One feeds the other. If you feel this is such a thing where I've I've always wanted to be there, you would make the effort normally to go and learn what these bands are about and get and maybe yeah. and it's not like he lived in fucking Iowa. He was in New York where he had access to record store after record store after record store to find this stuff. Used bins. LPs would cost like because he's gonna talk at one point he says here, I couldn't afford a comedy album. That's the name of the clip. Oh Jesus. Because he said they only had one or two at the station. Used LPs back in the day, anywhere from four ninety nine to you know seven ninety nine, depending if it was a single or double, and loads for a cutout price because they just wouldn't sell, and maybe ten bucks if it was really like an import or something. Those guys, the, the people that sold those things, knew what they were worth used, and yeah, he did, yeah. had nothing to do but take this money, do the thing, and go home. And he couldn't. Yep. He says he couldn't. He couldn't afford to buy a comedy album. I, I mean, think about when you're a teenager and you get your 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 
license and you're driving with your friends for the first time and sure. you get to control your playlist in your, in your car and everyone gets best. to hear what music yeah. you're into and yeah. you're kind of looking in the rear, rear view mirror going, oh, okay, are they aware that they're hearing something good right now? Whatever. Yeah. That, that's something that a true music lover would go through. And totally, it's just, it really is something that's mind boggling that. This yeah. Is you're the, tr maybe turning people on to something new or something great. And you want to hear the receive their reaction. Do they think yeah. it's as awesome as I do that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. You want them to go like, Oh wow, you got good taste. Right. No one ever said to how, or I mean, what's he going to do say to them? Have you ever heard of the Beatles? They're going to, they're, <laughs> you know, he, he knows nothing else. <laughs> Guys, I brought this live at Candlestick Park album. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he can he can claim, uh, yeah. oh, you know, I, I was really close to going to this Jimi uh, Hendrix live at the film where I didn't end up going because my it? friend didn't invite me. You know, to go into how, how he was traumatized by a neighborhood yeah. girl not inviting him. But really, he has nothing to to bring to the table that could open up there and, and make them go, oh wow, I never heard of this before. Oh, that's cool. Nope. You're into this. That's right. Which is unusual if you're in that yep. career. Everybody was sort of throwbacks to, you know, the hippie radio thing where sex, drug, and rock and roll was before it was a bad thing. And Howard was not of that stripe. He was completely different. He was very withdrawn. He was very uh, insecure. He just had an absolute passion for radio. And it was the one gig he could get and he was looking to fit in. And it wasn't easy to come into a clique like that that had been well-established, especially if you weren't one of them, you know? So it wasn't easy. I don't know about that because, I mean, we're getting conflicting reports from even his, his fellow jocks. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't know, it was easy for him because, you know, he, he couldn't fit yeah. in. Like, like, oh, but then Meg's saying, well, no, he didn't try to fit in. He didn't even bother talking. Yeah, Meg has um, a reason, I think, to rewrite history and be kind. I think she might have been a serious employee at some point, maybe that point. She she um, still is, I believe. I think she's got a show on oh, Series okay. XM. Yeah, yeah. And, and then they had worked together again at um XRK. Yes. So she so she could soften the blow more so than than somebody who has not spoken to Howard in 30 years at this point. Oh yeah. And uh can just say it as it was. Yeah. So yeah, that's one thing I don't like about hearing these people who go and wait. It's the same thing with Howard was unremarkable as a kid. He was not funny. No one thought right. him funny. Then you get one guy going, he was the funniest. You always knew when you saw Howard, he was going to go place. And you go, are you just saying that? Because you're the only one saying that. And yeah, so I, I do. Uh, yeah. So I, I go with what the majority is on those. And also with my own ears, I could hear those tapes and go, okay, he's terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he, he's not, he, he definitely, and I think that if he was being honest, he would say he was very afraid. I, I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he should suffer. Yeah, I've never heard him talk about this, yes. but more so than most, he should suffer from an imposter complex. He oh, yeah. is pretending always. So, yep. you know, they, it, and he should be afraid always of being found out. You don't know what you're talking about. You're not into the music we're into. You don't really go get high like we do. You know, um, in fact, I was going to tell you, I was looking at an old um, Mark's friggin thing for something. I was looking for something else, but I found a, a well-met thing where Howard had busted uh, a camper for having weed and, and made him leave the Western trip. But uh, for Howard to tell it, you know, he he's the uh, the loose guy. Um, he wouldn't have been the guy to, to bust somebody. I thought that that was uh, 
revealing. I could see you're preoccupied. I'll... Oh no, I am listening. By the way, no. Okay. It's, okay. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, so I just uh, thought just, that was funny that 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 not only I mean it's not like it, he's far from the guy being in his mom's house getting high every day as he would have you believe. He's instead busting other people for having. For having <laughs> well, me. well, to more more to the point, he gets he talks in the private parts about um uh trying to be a druggie. Like trying to put the image of himself as a big druggie, but then doesn't actually smoke the pot that he's going to give to these girls to try to get them to sleep with him right. or one of them at least. Right. Or the alcohol. And, or the alcohol. Yet he, he would have you believe he was this big, you know, drug nut and he was a, a dork. I doubt he even smoked weed ever. Mm. Like the yeah. whole acid thing. That that that's possible. Maybe he did. Maybe he did some kind of dirt weed or whatever. That's fine. But uh, judging on how he is normally and so controlled and so whatever fearful of everything, I seriously doubt he did more than one puff and then freaked, you know, and then just never touched it again. Uh, but if if his friends came forward and said, Howard, that was a placebo. We gave you a sugar pill. Yeah. And, and everything that you went through that night, you imagined would you be surprised? I wouldn't. I would go. No, yeah, he probably. If you if you told him, oh wow, you took so many hits of acid, your 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 mind must be in space. Yeah, he would believe you and go along with it and say, oh my god, I'm almost dead. Mm -hmm. But then if you told him, you know, it's actually just sugar. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I suspect he'd be the he'd be impressionable. I don't know why he never puts himself. I mean, I guess I understand why he never subjects himself to the hypnotism that he makes Ronnie and Sal go through, because I think he would be just as persuadable as those guys are. Well, with his eating habits being what they are nowadays, if it was sugar, it would probably just t t tear his body <laughs> yeah. apart. He would so. uh, collapse like Artie. Yeah, absolutely. For Howard. Sugar and Howard did the best he could. He went on the air and he, he was trying to be one of the DJs and he was still, you know, being straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody is the star of the Pointer Sisters. On the Pointer WWE Sisters. FM, Joan Armour Trading before that. And Joan Armour Trading. <laughs> you got, so this is what, by the way, this is what Howard did to the station that played the Ramones. Yes. And played... Heavy, you know, I, I should also when, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you start to when you get older and you start to see kids from a few years older than you, let's say you're in junior high or you're in high school and you start to be around for the first time, kids who are really into heavy metal. Oh, yeah. They are intimidating. You know, they are, uh, you know, when they get the wisps of a mustache and the long hair and, you know, you, you're still uh, an elementary school kid fresh out of sixth grade, whatever it might be. These kids can be very intimidating. And for I, I've read, you know, obviously I wasn't alive at the time. So, so I've only read articles about what these DJs were like at the time. And I compare it to my, my, my first interactions with kids who were into heavy metal when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, back Metallica is like uh, dad music now. But it wasn't a long time ago, you know. No, at it, one point it was, was countercultural. Yes, and from my experience, it was dirtbag kids who didn't shower oh, yeah. who were into oh, yeah. heavy metal. Oh yeah, and uh, that's what radio DJs were like, especially the yes. kind who Howard was around. They oh, shit, were yeah. not. Yeah, they were not having discussion parlors with the neighborhood parents, you know, like Howard's family was talking they did not about hire. the latest events in the New York times. They did not hire magicians to play. their going away. Yeah, parties. Right. Right. And yes. So, um, 
I think if he was being honest, just to tie this up, he would admit that he suffers from imposter syndrome where oh, yeah. he is not one of these guys. They know it and he knows it and he's struggling to, um, you know, make them think Fit I'm in. one of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. You mentioned that because I remember at the time I dressed, I was always a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. I mean, most of the ethnic guys kind of all dressed the same like Guido's and, um, what happened, but the difference was unlike like the metal kids that I grew up in high school, like the, the ones I went to high school with, they would listen to some token albums, but they didn't want to actually do the work and listen to everything. I was a music nerd. So if I was getting into metal, I made sure to get any metal I could, German metal, death metal, thrash, wow. speedcore, agnostic mm -hmm. front, anything, and then punk, but I gravitated to punk anyway. So when these mm. guys would start talking, they and they'd look at me, like they all had the t-shirts on. They all wore the Iron Maiden shirts, didn't own a single <laughs> Iron Maiden album. It right. was like Nine Inch Nails fans back in the day. They, I always said they sold more t-shirts than albums by far. <laughs> uh, and, and, and Nine Inch Nails in my generation was the Iron Maiden of like for from 10 years earlier. You know, all those guys that got the yeah. Eddie shirts and couldn't yeah. tell you a fucking song on, you know, uh, you know, seventh son of a seventh son. But here, yeah. here's the thing. So and but I, I ended up getting respect for that because I was really into the music and a lot of these guys were just fucking posers, which they grew out and they eventually started, you know, selling used cars. But what what Howard like the whole idea of he and there's no, nothing shameful about wanting to be a straight DJ and just like a straight up FM regular DJ and just getting a nice salary and enjoying your little corner of the world that you work in. But again, the problem is always he would have you believe he started off as this rebel at, at Boston University uh, campus radio. And then he went from, you know, strength to strength, even though he's telling you, OK, I was awful. He's not really getting into the meat of it. He's not getting into. I mean, he is and he isn't. I, I think we're getting. Uh, it's always a mixed bag. Like I have, I had this great desire to do radio, but he's not going hard enough into, I really didn't know what I was doing until I listened to so-and-so I needed to yeah. copy so-and-so. If he did that, I don't even think we'd have a need for some of these shows. I don't know that he understood why he wanted to be in radio. It's not right. because he wanted to be able to get music before everybody else did and break it and on, on the air and have everybody right. hear it and uh, go to concerts for free, get albums for free, be able to discuss, yeah. interview musicians when they were coming to town. It wasn't – he had no interest in any of that. I really don't know if he understood why he wanted to be on the radio other than I want people to know my name yep. and I want it to be easy. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I want my work to not have, require much effort. Yeah. Um, which you could probably coast on if you just had a few talking points. Yeah. But uh, what I was going to say was, there was the station, uh, which which uh, was experimental and indie kind of, the the, the Ramones and uh, Sex Pistols and so on, which is, are mentioned there, and the Pointer Sisters don't go together. <laughs> so the Pointer <laughs> Sisters are what comes from Howard Stern being put in a position of power, and they decided, you know, we'll get to that, but. That's not a guy who says I care about music. The guy who's no. hooting along to the Pointer Sisters, right? But but even more to the point, if he was a person that really cared about music, he'd be the one to argue. It's all valid. I can play New Kids on the Block and I can play Corrosion of Conformity. It's not I can you know it's my show. I can mix Curve yeah. into Rabbi Shankar into James Brown and no one's going to yeah, give okay, a shit. You, you, it, it takes a really confident. And you better be able to back it up if you're going to try to pull off something that, you know, th that unexpected. 
Um, well, you have to have the will. You have to have the self-confidence yeah. and the belief and know yeah. the music. And he never did. He never does. Yeah. I it's mean, not <laughs> like he was putting together a Quentin Tarantino soundtrack with every air shift. <laughs> I find it funny. He crowbarred the Ramones into a 1997 uh, soundtrack when the Ramones already just broke up like in 96, 97. That was the end of the band. And he couldn't be bothered to learn Gabba Gabba. We accept you. We accept you. One of us. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny, too, is that they put that in the film soundtrack, but yes. on the movie soundtrack, it's uh, uh, Marilyn cheap Manson, trick. whoever, whoever I don't, Cheap Trick was, were they on there on the soundtrack? I, I don't, I can't remember, but I do remember that wasn't, if I'm not mistaken, it was a Warner's It was soundtrack. LL Cool J, it was, yeah, exactly, it was whoever was on Warner, I guess, at the time. So Green so Day, a, throw, a throwaway cover song that Green Day did that was not for that album. I'm going right. to look up right now the Private Parts soundtrack. Okay, because if, if I'm not mistaken, it must have been some contractual thing, because I remember he was also pissed off that Tool was supposed to do a Led Zeppelin medley, but they ended up bowing out and he gave him shit for years every so often he'd talk about you know i wouldn't even have them in the studio and they were down the lobby and they were in la at the time <laughs> yeah sort of you know this this kind of bitchiness and it, it makes sense if they were all warners only allowed warner artists for the album although right. you, know, you think somebody like howard Stern could make sure any band he wanted could be on the album uh i think Howard said, whatever bands will sell music is who I want on the album. So he has yeah. Rob Zombie. Yeah. He's got Flea, Dave Navarro, and Chad Smith. And this is interesting. LL Cool J's name is whited out. I guess it's because he wasn't on the uh, uh, that label. But it yeah. just says whited out with Flea. But it's LL Cool J. Porno for Pyros, obviously. Porno for Pyros, yeah. Marilyn Manson, Ozzy Osbourne with Typo Negative. Green Day. Oh, Ramones was on there. Uh, Pinhead was on there. Yeah. Um, Deep Purple. ACDC. Uh, yeah, Cheap Trick was on there. You're right. Ted Nugent. Yeah. Cat Scratch <laughs> Fever. I forgot about that. Van yeah. Halen, Jamie's Crying, ACDC. Uh, yeah. You shook me all night long. Uh, and then Howard Stern and the Dust Brothers, of course, because it's 1997. And yeah. Makes You've that makes perfect whatever sense. Whatever is in the zeitgeist right this minute, I need <laughs> for a film that ends for a film that ends in 1985. That yeah. makes perfect sense. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Surprised there wasn't some kid rock in there. Although um, it does begin in '92, it, it, uh, you know, it's got it's yeah, got '92 because okay. he's leaving the uh, MTV Awards, so it oh, sort yeah, of but, ends but in '92. Also, but there's a big gap. Right, but there's also the the uh, vignettes with Stuttering John and Gary and the yeah. uh, porn stars and stuff like that. What a so, mess of a movie. Which, it's a total mess. Come when you need me. 16 degrees in Y Plains with Howard Stern, partly sunny and cold today. <laughs> Is cold an accurate word for description? I think it's more than cold. I like that word, blustery. That kind of describes these days. Blustery cold today. If I'm not mistaken, that was the word Fred used when Jackie was Exactly wanted to right. <laughs> I'm so glad you remembered that because I, I remember that too. And he, Fred said it was blustery and Howard gave him shit for using such a word. Oh, yeah. And here of all words for Howard to romanticize, blustery yep. is the word that he likes. Amazing. High in the low to mid-20s. Increasing cloudiness and continued cold tonight. Low in the teens tomorrow will be cloudy and not quite as cold. With a chance of some light snow at times. High in the mid-20s to near 30. I have a friend who called me up last night and said, did you? <laughs> Even then he had a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Here is going to be 10 inches of snow Saturday. You better cancel your party. I'm having a party Saturday night. I'd love to invite everybody, but my apartment will not hold 
the the massive amounts of audience we have out there. <laughs> There's too many friends Wait a inside. You're so I don't know exactly what year this is, but if if it was when you were living at the t- TM sanctuary, the, the TM place, which I've, the name escapes me suddenly. There's men only, there was no, but it was, it was a There was no speaking it, allowed. There was no speaking no. allowed, let alone partying allowed. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, I don't know if maybe when he says I'm having a party, if he means maybe he and Allison had now moved in together in an apartment. Because I do believe Who they knows? had an apartment together briefly before uh, event, they moved to Connecticut. Eventually, yeah. yeah. Um, so next clip, maybe yeah. it was a housewarming party. I don't know. Possibly. Um, next clip is Howard was a mellow jagoff. If you had talent, you had a place at WRNW to experiment with, and that builds confidence, recalled John Vitiver, host of The Porch Show. You didn't have to stop. You were able to push it as far as you wanted to go. The atmosphere was so open to musical exploration that WRNW spun off perhaps the longest list of well-known alumni among all New York area stations. Joe Piasek, known as Joe from Chicago, was a beloved radio guru, a controlled anarchist in his on-air style. He inspired the timid Howard to loosen his approach and to take the first steps toward developing the crazed persona who would uncork and share with the audience his vulgar obsessions and abundant neuroses. Howard was a mellow jock. He didn't understand humor on the radio, Joe said. He hadn't mushroomed. Um, there's there's a bit of a section here that's omitted. Basically, it talks about the, the diversity of the music being played. So Sun Ra, Buddy Guy, Paul Butterfield, other guests, uh, they'd have Joni Mitchell, uh, you know, did it, Tom Paxton, Jim Dawson, Aztec Two Step, and whatever. But then, I mean, they what it was was basically even if they had to play the Who, they would always shoehorn some kind of alternative act in there as well. And Howard made sure to get rid of the Who, the Stones, and basically it became yacht rock, <laughs> you know, the way he wanted yeah. it. And then it says here some of the air personalities. Uh, okay, so okay. The WRNW ranks included Meg Griffin, Al Bernstein, Dan Near, Harris Allen, Donna Donna, Lisa Carlin, Bob Marone, Tom Marrera, uh, and uh, Joe P- P- Piasek, or whatever they call it, Joe. And this was Meg Griffin's boyfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he and, was the um, pre- program uh, director, right? Yes, for a while. As well? So I'm going to go. I'm yes. going to go into that one here. Uh, next clip is called uh, "No Personality, No Taste in Music, No Talent." What a great catch. I recall his voice was very tight and, and high, and his hair was, you know, very curly and short and cropped. And he had the glasses on. He just looked goofy, and he sounded goofy, and he was nervous on the air. So, I mean, that's that's who he was, and it was a complete contrast to the stoned-out, burned-out hippies and rock and rollers that were doing the radio there. So he was quite a fish out of water at first. I don't remember much personality, to be honest with you. I really don't. I just I remember it being kind of safe. I remember. Okay, a little more. For really not going out of my way to listen. And he wasn't as relaxed and confident. Obviously, none of us were. So I think it was kind of a little bit higher and a little more sounding like what he thought he was supposed to sound like before he actually defined a style that is completely now owned by him. But you got that. He also ripped off of other people later on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's not she like this is where she and being a radio veteran, she had to know he, he borrowed from as many people as he did. Well, I would say that uh, she, like everyone else, though, is limited to whatever is uh, available on wherever you are locally. So, yeah. you you know, you, you could love the radio, 
but you don't know what's going on in Chicago unless you're having tapes sent to you. Yeah, um, I suppose. Which, so yeah, so I, I I do think that she might have really believed that Howard just went off into the desert and discovered himself and just um, grew. <laughs> maybe I mean she might believe that. I don't know. She might yeah. not want to question it. Or she might have might have questioned it, and they edited it out of the audio. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's in, well, this is Howard Stern's uh, own show, so we know we know that. Yes, that's entirely possible. Let's start somewhere. The consensus, I think, to a man, and I can't speak for everybody, but just everything I had heard is, oh my God, what is he doing on the air? I was on the air. I was like, I, all I had to do was spin records, and you could play whatever you wanted. They didn't even care. He they didn't was even the care. Program director, but he never gave you a list. He could care less. <laughs> Just, uh, I hate when they make that mistake every time he could care less. Uh-huh. They do that all. The, that's that's one. Uh, 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 what was the other one that bugs me when I see it in print? Would of is another one, but uh, that one when I hear it, I guess would print. of yeah yes. would of oh, yeah for fuck's um, sake. I I I have to wonder why Donald Barnett hired Howard when everyone who heard him said, "What is he doing on the air?" And you know we know that the station ended up selling soon after uh, Howard joined and they let go of Donald J. Barnett. That was like the first thing that happened. Was mm-hmm. he just bombing the station at that point and just going, I don't care. I'm out of here. Hire this well, kid. I don't care. It might've been because it was hemorrhaging money. Basically it was a losing proposition. I mean, you could lose $10 or you could lose a little less supposedly the way they explain it because they had yeah. in the, in the place they had something like a hairdresser. One room was dedicated to a hairdressing shop. The other was like mm-hmm. a, could have been a deli or a travel agency. And then one was the radio station. So, I mean, it really does sound like a commune of, of, of vocations. Yeah, they did. They, they, uh, maybe in this uh, history of Howard Stern, they kind of explain that the investors of that station that it really was a money losing thing. But I think it was by design; it was going to maybe lose just, money. Maybe it was meant to be a write off, something like that. Yeah, yeah. That that you could um, maybe it's a community thing or a who knows. Yeah. But it wasn't expected to generate lots of money. Now, when no. it was sold to new owners, they said we need this to make money, so Absolutely. we're not going to play. We're not going to play whatever you guys. Uh, are excited to be playing. We're going to play uh, you know, test mark tested things that is um, has been marketed and people like yep. it, and we're going to play it and proven. Yeah, he was like a real good guy. Just said basically, go in there, play whatever you want. Just you know, make sure you play whatever few commercials we had. We only had like two commercials. Now let me ask you something. Did you study the music? Did you? How did you select your music? Well, I mean, it was stuff I liked. So it didn't matter. You, you want to know how I selected music? I would turn to the wall. They had a huge ca- uh, catalog of music. It was like, you know, albums. Uh-huh. I would turn to the wall. I'd stick my hand into the wall. I'd pull out a bunch of them and just play whatever was there. Toss a dart. I didn't care about what, you know, like Meg worked at that station, Meg Griffin and other people who cared about music. Right. And they would. OK, a little more, guys. Actually, like put together sets. I think they actually would yeah, prepare. They studied and put yeah. together music that was compatible. She tells me that they would actually sit there and prepare like for their show. Yeah. I was like, maybe I can do that. <laughs> what were you doing? I don't know. I don't know. I That type of work ethic carried over into present day where he really yeah. doesn't do anything. Now, and as I said to Sam in a previous broadcast, I'm certain in the like I'm certain there was a point there, maybe 10 years where he really did work his ass off 15 years to get whatever. But ultimately, I think he's been a lazy shit most of his life. 
and uh, inherently he is lazy. He doesn't. Mm. I mean, the idea that Robin was the one to convince them to do mornings, but he decided like, no, why? We're number one in the afternoons. I think is more more uh, really Howard than anything. Well, yeah, he was afraid to compete with Imus too. Certainly. But, yeah, we'll we'll get to that chapter, but um, <clears throat> I I do think that his work ethic um is largely due to his wanting to avoid his family. Um, the, you know, whenever there's, he's got young kids in the house and he's in the basement trying to avoid them. Um, you know, he's in, incentivized to, if you work harder, we can put your show, you know, Mel's got his expanding empire, um, mm-hmm. as he's, as he's going and buying up stations and new markets. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, he's got a momentum behind him. Yeah. Uh, so there's good reason, and every time he gets a new market, his paycheck goes up. Yeah. So there's reason, and you know he's trying to get on television, very badly trying to get on television. So and he wants to avoid his family, and he wants to see his name everywhere he looks, uh, his right. face everywhere he looks. So there was a reason for that. But then as he's, you could you could probably say it was once the divorce happens, he has a little bit of that. You know, I'm, I'm a hardworking guy because he's going to get that massive, serious bonus if he yeah. if he brings if he hits his targeted uh, subscriber goal, um, and that he's got um, Howard TV he's trying to sell. Yes, but once he no longer has no more bonuses coming your way, there's mm-hmm. no more Howard TV subscriptions. There's nobody paying you for any extra work. This is your salary. That's it. Then yep. you go. All right. Well, then. Screw you. We're not going to, I'm right. not going to work hard and I'm not going to put other people on my channels. Yeah. Worst business model ever, because if you don't have a carrot dangled in front of him, or let's say, I don't know, a cock, he's not, he's not getting out of his chair. That's, that's just the yeah. bottom line. And we, and keep in mind guys, when we talk, when Benjamin's talking about this machine that was behind him, he was getting it from every angle. So if he changed, he had it written into deals later on where if he got a quarter point interest, he would get 10,000. Like in every quarter, if he got it by a quarter point, that would be a 10,000 bonus or like, you know, per quarter point. And then Mm. if it was, you know, more advertising, if you had a market, all of a sudden that's even more money for advertising or different advertisers. So he was getting it from every angle by the end. And he he got a piece of the advertising. He got a piece of whatever, uh, you know, like uh, ratings points and bonuses and payouts and stuff and stock even, I'm certain. So Mm -hmm. uh, there was more incentive in the terrestrial days. And you could definitely tell by 2000 when he knows his metrics are actually kind of uh, leveling off and they're not getting any bigger that he and Don must have had some conversation where we're not going to get any more big paydays if we stay on the radio. If we go for this serious thing, it's possible we can get one last big payday. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. Yeah. I I think um, they rode the wave of the uh, late 80s and 90s of massive – Radio markets expand, expanding and consolidating and becoming one brand. Yes. So he goes, look, there's Clear Channel, there's Infinity, and basically that's it. You know, yep. what are we gonna do? Who else are you gonna turn to to get money out of anymore? Yeah. Um, so you know, they they got their pockets very fat during that period, but then mm-hmm. there was no more competition. No. You know, to right. go to turn your back on and go, I'm going to the other guys. There's only yep. Clear Channel, really. Yep. 
do remember being music director, I would get uh, many copies of every release that would come out because I would always tell the label, look, if you want us to play it, give me a copy for every one of my jocks so that they can also take it home and then they can know what the music is. I would always get music for everybody. And I do remember like the punk stuff, specifically the Ramones, and we got those import 45s with the picture sleeves. Uh, Elvis Costello's single, Allison, came out. And they would be worth shitloads of money, especially now. I mean, uh, like the the other and the promo copies was such a thing back in the day. I used to buy a yeah. lot of them. Cut the cutout. Oh yeah, goals, you'd always you know, get them. They'd even say not for sale. Promo yes. use not for sale. Oh yeah, I think yeah. My first cut, not, my copy not of not uh, taken out of the plastic. I got, I think, um, Concrete Blonde, Walking in London. That I, I think I bought a promo copy of that on cassette that I loved. I thought it was kind of, kind of cool, actually, in a way. Like, you know, yeah, like, I remember, it wasn't. I remember having a Sonic Youth uh, CD that I got that was a promotional use only. And I oh, bought yeah. that copy because they had a few of them, but I bought one of that one because I thought that was cool to have. Oh, I, I financed a Jesus and Mary Chain compilation album that was put out by the label at the time that was just like 10 year, a 10 year, like greatest hits kind of thing that was only meant for promotion. And I sold it on eBay in the early days of eBay when people would send cash in an envelope for like a hundred bucks <laughs> after buying it for like five bucks from the pawn shop. It was great. I subsidized yeah. a lot. Yeah. Of, I mean, they went into buying more records ultimately, but. But even back then, Howard oh, yeah. was a, I don't do my homework kind of guy. Yes. So let me explain why I didn't do, I don't listen to music when I get home. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> My record player doesn't work. My there's always something. Yeah. There's a picture of a girl in a frame and the glass is broken because obviously it's like a breakup song, you know. Um, but back then he was seeing Allison. I don't think they were yet married. And I thought, well, God, this will be the way for me to get him to dig one of these guys, even though it's not a very punky song. And, you know, picture sleeve and everything. I figured I'm giving him something cool here. <laughs> I'm giving Howard visuals. So it should be up his alley because he does need like a he's like a, that guy that gets a book, starts reading it. Then every now and then has to look back at the cover to remind himself what it's about. And am I still interested? Like a guy that's hung up on visuals and as and clearly <laughs> as he is. Let's play a little more. An important. And he just gave it back to me. He said, oh, no, no, I couldn't play that. And I'm like, what is with this guy? <laughs> so, you know, I just think that he hadn't quite yet figured out who he was going to be on the radio or he was nowhere near as far out of his shell as he is now. Um, he was definitely looking to move forward in this world like any of us were in this world of radio. But he was kind of uh, endearingly shy. But again, guys, the point is at 20, he was a chicken shit. You don't become a rebel yeah. in your 20s. You 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 have so that. He was, 20, he was 23 at this point. Yeah. So, I, OK. You know, it's funny. As, she, as she's talking about giving him this thing that, that she thought he would like, that would be kind of a nice. Yeah. I remember whenever I uh, in it was in 2000 and I was interviewing for this job at a at a an alt weekly. Um, I. <clears throat> had just met with one of these editors, the the arts entertainment editor, and I recognized his name because I had I had seen it before, and I told him, "Oh, I'm glad to see that you like the new Elliot Smith CD, um, because I I've been meaning to get it. I love Elliot Smith." Mm -hmm. And he leaves, and he comes back like five minutes later with the Elliot Smith CD and gives it to me, the Figure Eight CD, and I always remember going like, "Oh my God!" I was at this interview, and the guy. I told him I was glad to hear that he liked the CD, and he came back and gave me a copy of this new Elliot Smith CD that just came out. So if you like music, that kind of thing, that gesture that she made 
mm. is memorable and yeah. you know it's it's cool and you you know it, it's uh, endearing um plus you have a story about that cd yes yes and it meant nothing to howard no of course not so this next clip is called how weird piasek teased howard saying how weird get weird it's in your name Howard disliked the nickname, but came to see that his muted approach on the air was a dead end in a business overpopulated with disc jockeys who did little more than announce song titles and weather forecasts. One way that Howard stretched was to drag visitors into on-air conversations. Live exchanges with salespeople, other disc jockeys, even janitors, heralded the kind of radio that he would build around himself as his popularity soared in larger markets afterward. It boosted his popularity. As one colleague put it, he needed someone to play off of. Robin Quivers, Fred Norris, and Jackie Martling would fill that role within a few years. Another- I, I think that, and that, that's the, that's probably the, 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 the basic, uh, the, the basic personality. That's the whole, the answer to the whole puzzle. If he does, and, and now you're hearing it when you listen to modern Howard Stern, by clearing out by doing the Marcy thing and clearing people out of the hallways and not having them in studio and not allowing them this, the voice to speak, you're hearing what his show would have sounded like in 1977, not knowing what to say, what to play, how to act, how to be, how to dress, how to react, not having an opinion and being this, this yeah. kind of very conservative in a weird way. Um, uh, but yet, um, clearly unsure of who he is and what he's doing at any given moment. So he have him having to pull a janitor in was more about, I didn't have yeah. anything to say. So let's well, get whatever yeah. I can get. Let's get the, let's get the fucking Zodiac killer in. Talk to him. That's what he would have done. Yeah. And here's what I would say. When you're a drowning man, then anything floating is a life raft to you. And that's what a janitor floating by. There's my life raft. I'm going to cling to. And that he's yeah. never let go of that. No. Anything is my life raft because he's constantly drowning. I mean, he always talks about, oh, I could do the show without anybody. If I I could just, uh, I could, I, I don't even need to take call. I could just do whatever. That's obviously not true. It has that's never a huge been fallacy. It's, it's always been bullshit. And even Ralph one time said, you know, he could read the phone book and be entertaining. And we've, we've heard what he's like when he's left on his own devices, just throw a rock at every, <laughs> any talk show appearance, you know, even in this yeah. heyday and it's cringeworthy. Did you ever see the Billy West impression of him on the tonight show? I don't think I did. Oh, you have to watch that. We oh, wait, did it is it, for, is it like a newer, is it a newer impression? No, or? On Jay, no, Jay Leno, 1994. Uh, he goes in, he starts, to, he's promoting, I'm not sure exactly what he was promoting, it might have been Ren and Stimpy, but either way, Leno wanted to have Billy West on, and he pulls out a wig, and he starts imitating Howard, because he asked him, you know, oh, you can do that's cool. but can you do Howard, or are you afraid to? And he had it prepared, and he had the sunglasses on, and it was brilliant. And I'm certain, and when we did that, it was a three-part thing about the John Kay when he brought him in. We did a yeah. three-video uh-huh. thing, which was maybe self-indulgent, but I didn't give a fuck. I loved it. And he nailed the the essence of Howard on talk shows. So so He made him so perfectly stupid, awkward, stilted, unfunny, that I know that was more the main reason Howard was probably pissed off at him and said, mm. no, fuck, we're leaving. Mm. That's it. That's we're not, good, you're, you're getting, you're, we're going to make sure you're gone soon. Yeah, that's a good take. 94 was when I started listening and Billy was a huge reason that I became a fan. Mm. 
I was paying like Pablo Cruz. What was the name of that band? Yeah, Pablo, Pablo Cruz. Cruz. And I'm telling you, not even a week ago without listening to this, I found a Pablo Cruz cover album to Photoshop and made it some just for his purposes. And it's it's four guys topless on a cover with a white background and it's called Heat Wave or something. And I'm thinking, okay, perfect. This is perfect father fodder. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what he brings up in this. So he liked the cover image of the topless guy. I think so. So I'm on the air. And, Did uh, you have any information about the music? Would you say something? No, no, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I didn't know anything oh, about music. You were a music. great DJ. I was not one of these nitwits that sat around and studied groups. I figured, like, I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> so I'm on the air, right? I was like, yeah, let's just do one. Oh, seven. And, I, you know, I didn't have a okay, a little more deep voice. And whenever I got on the air when my early on in my career, I'd be like, I, my voice was up here. <laughs> and I was like, let's just do 107. <laughs> You know, I was like really nervous, and I had a real deep voice when I was off the air. And then I get on the air, and I'd be like, "Where's Jasper 107?" Yeah, your voice would lock up. Yeah, oh, it was a mess. So anyway, we were making ninety-six dollars a week, and it was really bad. So I get together with this other guy, Mark Drucker. You know, Mark Drucker used to work with Debella. Yeah. So I said, "You know what we ought to do? Let's let's go." I understand. There's the okay, a little more guys. You ever hear this thing called the news blimp? See, I never knew about it. All right. There was this thing for progressive, you know, FM stations. It was a syndicated thing. It was called News Blimp. Uh-huh. It would come on and go, News Blimp. So I heard they were looking for guys to produce the News Blimp. I guess it was like an early version of the chatter. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? He worked with Mark the Shark. I didn't. I, I completely forgot about this, that he oh, worked yeah. with Mark Drucker. Yeah, there there is a little overlap with different people, actually. And like even Al Rosenberg, who, if I'm not mistaken, uh, work with Steve Dahl, was it? I can't remember. But there's some there's there's some overlap in terms of people who worked for competitors who also work with him. Like Ted Utz, I I, I think Ted Utz yes, did work with yeah, Ted Utz, if I'm not mistaken. MMR, yeah, yeah. So there was there's some some and then and then for some reason, even though they're associated with these guys, they don't necessarily get the heave ho from him. Like even though there's a connection, it's mm-hmm. not. Oh fuck him! He's he's with him. He's not with the, he's not with us. And I find that a little mm-hmm. odd because normally his his personality would be. You look when Ganji went out to visit. Um, Scott, sorry, um, um, God, the the fella he sued in, in Los Angeles for it's. Um, are the are you hot? Um, God, we oh. did a whole podcast about him. Uh. uh God, not Greenstein. Not the, not, uh, the the guy who went down to the great, I mean the ra- the greatest race or whatever it's that's, called. That's that's right. Um, God, now it's gonna. Einziger or Einziger. That's you got it. I was thinking Scott Greenstein yeah. or Scott Einziger, and um, and so he gave Ganji shit for going to visit him, even though he was suing him at the time. Howard was suing him, <laughs> and he said, "Why are you visiting the enemy? What's that about?" Even though they were all friends and it had nothing to do with them, that was Howard's business. Yeah, so right. that's you like, know, that you'd like Ganji st- stood to gain anything from this lawsuit. Totally, yeah. And they send you a script, and then you just lay it down and yeah. put it, it on tape. It was a news story, and you're supposed to cut comedy bits to it. Except I didn't know any comedy bits. Like I, I wasn't a collector of records. I didn't like have a lot of albums. <laughs> so he didn't collect music. Didn't care about comedy. Decided to and, put in his and, books and has con- comedians, and has contempt for those who do like music yes. and and can buy records. It's really baffling. Yeah. And like you had to put like cool, weird, funny comedy bits in. So you're in. supposed to know a lot about comedy and be able to like, yeah, so, slip that stuff in. So not only did you have to voice it, and you had to voice it like a cool FM disc jockey, you had to be like, 
this is Howard Stern on the news blimp. Oh, dear. You know, I was trying to sound like these guys. See, I never heard it, so I don't know what they sounded like. Well, they sounded like this. <laughs> yeah, they're like the news blimp. They had like a, a weird affectation. Uh-huh. And I was trying to sound like them. So I'd fit in. And they say, okay, a little more, guys. We're almost done. I need a script. And they say, just produce it like a news blimp. Put in some comedy and some music. I didn't know what to do. And and the only two comedy albums we had at the station were Stella and Mira. Oh, goodness. And um, Robert Klein. Mm-hmm. And I think a Cheech and Chong album, maybe. So all of my news blimps <laughs> and all of Drucker's news blimps. Had the same comedy. Had the same comedy bits. <laughs> so now, you know, this is all I had. I didn't. What am I well, going to do? I couldn't even afford a comedy album. <laughs> I couldn't believe you had the balls to say that. <laughs> okay. Um, what was the cost of an album back then, out of curiosity? I guarantee, because I was still, my, the first album I bought was Kiss, LP, when I'm talking about, with my own money. I was seven years old. I bought Kiss Love Gun, and it had, like, cigarette burns on the cover. It was really, like, the shittiest possible copy you could get. And I think it was... I'm not mistaken, five ninety nine with tax used. Yeah, it says so. Uh, that was eighty two records. Yeah. Okay. Nine ninety eight. So, apparently, the actual going rate was around seven dollars. Apparently, this is just a mm-hmm. quick Reddit search. Mm-hmm. Six or seven dollars was how much it cost. So, yeah. if he's if this was the seventy if this was seventy seven late seventy seven or early seventy eight he was already making that twelve grand a year, and you could certainly afford. I mean, his dad was his dad was paying for his gas. His dad had bought him his car. Yeah, um, he had, he had no expenses, and I'm sure. Well, you know, maybe he couldn't afford the Jack in the Box. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you couldn't invest like a little bit. Like you, you're expecting to get paid for the news blimp. You couldn't turn around and take some of that money and invest it so that you have some you know material to put in your next news blimp. I think even then somebody else had to pay. Somebody else had to foot the bill for whatever he needed yeah. to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's not going to invest in himself. Next clip. Listen to Dark. <laughs> Nick, listen, listen to Dude, Darth That's Kermit. a good call back to the Howard Stern motto. Never yeah. invest in yourself. Never. Listen to Darth Kermit as he manipulates time and space to sound like he has a set. What and, did you? Oh, and then the big payoff was after you produce this thing, which was taking me 17 hours to produce. Right. They pay you 25 bucks. But if I could produce two of them a week, I'd have an extra 50 bucks. Sure, when you're only making nine, that's, uh, you know, supplementing yeah. your salary by half. Yeah, it's like a pretty good thing. And I'm sure after taxes, I would have been left with like $12. <laughs> you know, at some point, I think if people make like $96 a week, I don't think the government Leave should take alone. taxes. You know, yeah. I really Why don't. Why is the government messing with your salary? They <laughs> should take taxes. So you couldn't invest not even $10 of yeah. the 25 that you could use again and again and again for these news blimps, whatever, and it would pay for itself inside of one news blimp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But my $96. <laughs> anyway, so... I have the it, Gary claims this is the news blimp. I don't know how he got it. Let's hear it. So this is the thing they send you. They send you the beginning. Right. Okay. The sound yeah. Text. They send you like a beginning thing. This is excruciating, by the way. I've heard this thing many times. <laughs> I hate it. Guys, if you thought King Schmaltz was awful, like just listen to this. Beatles, of 
course. Yeah. 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 Going on, Wait a minute. Let me see. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rhoda Blavitt. It seems movie stars and hermits aren't the only ones concerned about maintaining their privacy. <laughs> Link Luxon, rising. That's Stella Ramirez. Yes, you've got a on here. And you produced this whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As if you didn't know he was completely manipulating his voice to try to sound cool, but he just sounds like a dork. Okay. Yeah. Young star has committed what we consider to be the scandal of the industry. Businesses of all sizes are asserting the Constitution protects them against unreasonable search and seizures, just as it protects private citizens. Businesses are using those constitutional safeguards of privacy to keep federal regulators. Now, you can tell I don't even know what I'm reading. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what the script, but I didn't write the script. They send you the script. It was a boring story. What the so even then he needed script writers, of course. That isn't true. Billy, Billy does an impression of him in this, right? <laughs> uh, if, I, Billy, if I remember right, does it? Yes. Does he dare start doing an impression of him in this? No, I if don't I'm believe so. If I'm thinking of the same clip. Well, if this is if this is him recalling in like mid '90s, it's possible, but I don't know if it's included in this. No, 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 no. no I'm saying the uh, as they listen in the mid '90s, I think oh, I Billy chimes in with an impression of Howard from the '70s. Right. I don't know if it's part of this though. I don't know if because okay. knowing Howard, they cut it out of the history of Howard Stern uh, because they okay. wouldn't have wanted him in there except for the Billy West parts. The hell is this? I don't know. I didn't know. I just wanted twenty five dollars. You're really reading it like you understand. Yeah, I, I had no idea what what the guy. I didn't even had to read. It was just like you know, federal regulators. First amendment. First amendment. I was trying. Okay. What? There he is. There he is. <laughs> yeah. All right. And inspectors off of their property. Hold up. Security. Where do you think you're going? Oh, well, we're done now. Well, we were just gonna go home. Just gonna go home. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, I'm sorry, you'll have to have a pass. Okay, last bit, guys. Well, we don't have a pass. You don't have a pass? No, sir. Well, how did you get in here? Huh? Uh, you, up against the wall. Turn around. Dow Chemicals sued the Environmental Protection Agency <laughs> for invasion of privacy when the EPA took aerial photographs of one of its plants to check on pollution emissions. Dow had previously told the... Come on, 1976. So, 76. So, he was still 21? Yeah, he's lying about the year. Okay, fair enough. Uh, because he started in 77. Yeah. Yeah. So again, uh, this is more like 78, maybe 78. It, it, did you cut off the clip? Is it the, there's a clip? No, there's about there? 18 seconds left. You want to hear the rest of it? Yeah. Cause I think Billy chimes in. Okay. Yeah, there he goes. You know what it is? I think I slowed my tape down so that my voice would be, uh, yeah, cause it's awfully slow. Yeah. Well, that was me trying to be a, a disc jockey. I told you I was a sucky disc jockey. So there you go. He admits already, like from that early age, having to alter his voice to make himself sound better than he actually sounds normally. So mm -hmm. God only knows. I mean, if you really want to hear him high pitched, it's that Amanda Pete rant when that when he says, you know, he, he talks about her on the talk shows. Uh, if you want to hear the high pitched him with the um, the original uh, alarm clock orgasm speaker lady, mm -hmm. that like yep. that's that's really Howard. And you did a great compilation of that on YouTube. Oh, thanks. And that's through. and that woman even says, Howard, I don't like this new voice you're doing. <laughs> the Billy Goat. 
<laughs> yeah, he was doing because his voice was. He said that he thought his voice sounded good that day because he was a little bit sick. And Robin agrees with the caller. I don't like this. I like your normal voice because he's trying to sound cool by deepening it. Oh, that's um, awful. It's, you wonder how somebody gets away with just changing their voice. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's kind of – I guess it's not as gradual because on that day, both Robin and the caller were saying, I don't like this. Uh, let me see if I can just bring it up real quick. Okay. Uh, because I did clip it for a um, – uh, let's see. That's it. Ed, okay. The, okay. It says right here, but I got to find the exact one. Man, and my voice deep today or what? Mm. You know, if I like take, that girl. <laughs> see this. My kids aren't going to see it. We're all- <laughs> Rub it against uh, uh, <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to forward it to the point where he goes, well, see, did nothing happen to you? Yeah. Okay. I can't, yeah. I can't stand the voice, Howard, though. Rip. There, you can feel that. And there, you still can't stand that. Yeah, get back on your radio, <laughs> please. Turn the volume up all I the way. Can't no, 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 you sound so nice. Your normal voice, and now you come with this little silly. I don't know. Oh, it's awful. It's sick. It is awful, Howard. Well, I always felt I didn't have like a real radio voice, you know. Oh, no, oh, but you have a sexy voice. Hey, sit back down. You mean nothing happened to you? Huh? <laughs> 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 Yeah, Tiny Tim sounds sounds like uh, James Earl Jones compared to Howard in this. Yeah, so the caller, I like that she called him out on this. I don't like this new voice that you're doing. Right, and it's, yeah. The last one is called Rejection Comes Naturally to Tzvi. It's a real short clip. And you know what? I sent it into them and they rejected it. Oh, <laughs> oh no, after all this hard yeah. work. And I, and I put like three hours into yeah, it. Yeah, I can tell the work. Mixing all the music in and... All the comedy, <laughs> comedy. I don't even know what the comedy meant. I don't even know what the whole story meant. I don't. Yeah, well, this, the comedy certainly isn't helping the story. Should I keep playing it? Yeah. To get a search warrant, if the federal investigators wanted to inspect the plan. I'm sorry, it's just, it's just too much, and I think I'm going to do something horrible. <laughs> okay, last bit, guys. Something, somebody does something <laughs> to change all of this. <laughs> General Motors, Chrysler, and American Motors are all suing the Federal Trade Commission, saying the FTC investigation into the auto industry. Can you imagine listening to this? Howard, are you telling different stories? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what it meant. But I remember getting a script and not I knowing what it meant. It. I know. I was bad. It got rejected. It's it not a e- new dish jockey. It's not even connected. And number one, can you imagine Ben Stern having to hear this and review it and tell his son what he thinks? I, I, I mean, I don't know what a news blimp is, but yeah. I would assume that they say, take this copy, splice in comedy that seems to be reacting to the co- to it, whatever, to take, take a, their, their favorite word, a straight story and yeah. put a little... Um, Spin, you know, put a little cheese, seasoning yeah. on it get yeah. with some comedy so you know here's what they do on youtube nowadays you know like the family guy cutaways everybody on youtube yes. now when they make a video they'll make a statement and then they'll cut away to a movie clip that's reacting to it that's whatever yeah. and then back to where they are that's just the audio version that uh, they were looking for the audio version of that so you're mm-hmm. saying like you know the prices have gone up and it'll cut to some movie where they're like say what or whatever that's what they're looking for. Not completely just throw any comedy, throw in anything for <laughs> is let it run as long as you want. 
<laughs> and then cut back to yourself. You're completely baffling the listener. They're going, what am I listening to? That, that's the that's the understanding he had of comedy. Yeah. Well, again, if you have no instinct for timing, you have no natural. I mean, he he tried to like if if the if the most if we're going to distill his whole essence down into one thing, I guess it's supposed it's supposed to be him and Ray at the kitchen table tearing everyone else apart to make fun at their own at, for right. their you know at for the expense of comedy there to make Ray happy to get along with her and uh, you know but but it doesn't include memorizing comedy bits like like I said earlier but either way guys this is the end of this episode it's going to be a little longer than usual we hope you've appreciated it and uh, if you love uh, if you love our stuff on the Sunday shows, please tune in to Patreon. Check out. We've got a bunch of tiers there. Uh, the 250 tier will get you 50% of Patreon episodes and all the Sunday episodes for any month, given well, whether it's four or five, depending on the month in question. And uh, Ben, I want to thank you for sitting on this one. And Sam, we're really sorry you couldn't make it for this one. Yeah, I hope you join us on the next one. Yeah. I'm sure so guys. Yeah, she will. It's just uh, these these days, guys. It's unfortunately with the we- when the weather's as bad as I'm sure it is. Um, it's it's Wi-Fi gets fucked, everything gets fucked. So bear with us, and uh, we're gonna steam. <laughs> we're we're happy we see we're able to steamroll ahead, but at the same time, um, we're gonna get a full deck on board for the next one. So have a good one. We love you. Take care. If you went through the most incredible metamorphosis <laughs> and somehow transformed yourself into the best person you're capable of being, yeah. And you and Lisa G, after that metamorphosis took place, were on the top floor of a burning building. And it's just you two. And God told Lisa, I will give you the ability to fly if you kiss John the Stutterer. She would say no. I, I, I know. Well, 